is the podcast to the show. You can listen to or know. Welcome to our Ted Lasso talk, the Tedcast. Welcome, all Greyhound fans. Welcome, all you sinners from the dog track and all the AFC Richmond fans around the world. It's the Lasso way around these parts with Coach Coach and Boss. Without further ado, Coach Castleton. Okay, welcome back, everyone. Oh, my God, what an episode we have to go over with you today. <laughs> I, I can't even. I. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, so let's start with the. I mean, I'm, I'm just. Uh, uh, the, 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 the amount of gratitude I feel to the cast and crew and producers for an episode of this quality. Uh, in the third season when, you know, some people coast on their laurels, some people take time off. So we're, we're here to, today to go over uh, Ted Lasso season three, episode six, Sunflowers. It was a masterpiece, I think. I can't, I haven't, I haven't, here's the fun thing, uh, or, or maybe not so fun. Well, first of all, I'm Coach Castleton. Uh, I'm your host. <laughs> and, and, and with me, with me as always is Coach Bishop. <laughs> Uh, that's co- I, that's yeah, it, it, Coach Bishop, uh, right there. I, I, all I can offer up in response to that episode is my rarely uh, used "good googly moogly." That's a, that's a, that mm-hmm. was wow, wow! Like uh, one of the greatest things I've seen. Like truly, bar none. That was unbelievable. Uh, Coach, with us uh, is our boss uh, Emily Chambers. So I believe that we have talked about Will, the kit man. Uh, it, the actor's name is, uh, who is phenomenal in this episode. Yeah. But I somehow didn't register his name as uh, Charlie Hiscock, which means that when you do those very traditional initial, la- first initial last name C. on email addresses, it is C. Hiscock, which I only noticed today because there's an administrator in the school district that I went to whose name was also Charlie Hiscock, and his official email address was Charlie Hiscock at West River yeah. School Districts. And that's all I can think about right now, in addition to the episode. I love that. There, I mean, that, that, thank you, boss. There's, there is there's so much... <laughs> Uh, there's so much for us to discuss. I, I cannot tell you. I mean, we started this thing off um, a few years ago when Ted Lasso first came out. We were right on it from the very beginning. Um, and we were compelled to, I know Coach and I got together and we said, like, there are no podcasts on this. We just got to start recording a podcast about this because it's important and it's different. And it feels like a quantum change. Um, just feels like there's nothing else like this on television. And so um, we had been doing it for a long time, and then we and we never dropped any of the episodes until until season three launched, uh, partly because of my ADHD and partly because of, I guess, a general. I, I don't love being in the spotlight. I don't know. I can't speak for boss and coach. Um, yeah, boss is shaking her head. Do you, do you like me? No. Yeah. Oh, I get, I get really nervous. Yeah, okay, on your terms, right. Coach is often in the spotlight, so I think he's got a knack for it. I told you, when he was at Yale in that singing group, he was the dude that would, like, sashay out and do the solo. <laughs> he's so smooth, it's it's painful. But Coach, do you like to control when you're in the spotlight? Absolutely. Yeah, that's okay. that's yeah, that's a part of it, for sure. So you don't like people, like, yelling speech when you're not expecting oh, it? Oh, no. Because no, you, no, no. you have crazy anxiety. Oh, yeah. And somehow you balance it when you get out, You, you like – 
It's almost like you're living two lives, coach. <laughs> and I want both of them to be my only life. Ugh. That's right. Ugh. Now, we are, um, this episode, uh, Sunflowers, it is uh, stunning in its scope. It. Uh, I don't know. Okay. The reason I started bringing up why we started this, because uh, we have all these friends who are now very excited for us that are texting us and whatever but i got so many <laughs> i got so many texts after this episode came out where they're like dude like you're fucked like you, there's no this is a one of them we posted this when we first started uh season three we posted this on on uh, coach and i are in the same fantasy football league and um we were in there with one one of our producers uh, producers is also in the league and we said um you know, everyone, hey, for those of you guys that don't know we're doing this, we're doing this. And um, one of the other guys who didn't know said, hey, why are the episodes so long? Uh, you know, Oh, no, 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 sorry. <laughs> sorry. He said, why does it take this many producers to make one stupid <laughs> podcast? And then one of the other guys says, because each episode is as long as a human life. <laughs> You're going to have to credit whoever was that funny. Oh, no. Oh, you're not going to like which producer it was, uh, boss. Uh It's one of your least favorite people in the world. Producer Seth. Oh! (laughs) (laughs) I think a bigger insult than me saying that uh, he's one of my least favorite people is that I forgot that he's one of my least favorite people. Suck it, Seth. I didn't even remember that I don't like you. Suck it, Seth. Suck it. Yeah, yeah. I I hate him myself. (laughs) And um, I'm very... I, I, he's the, he's one of the people in the world where you know you you like if they you want to kill him most of the time. But then I Facetimed with him about two days ago, and I saw his stupid mug in the screen, and I was like overflowed with love. And I and I told him, oh. I'm like, I'm really happy to see you, and that really pisses me off. Like it really sucks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I thought I thought you were going to say that you wanted to kill him, and then you looked at his face and realized life was doing that for you, so it didn't matter. But that's nicer, what you just said. That's much nicer. He is a wonderful man, despite everything I write about him in bathroom walls all across this great nation. Um, we, uh, we're going to go over Sunflower today, written by the great Brendan Hunt, which is so beautiful. We could just talk about how beautiful it is that Brendan Hunt wrote the episode about Amsterdam. Right, boss? Right. I mean, yes. Yes. Give, yes. give everybody a little a little insight into that. Why is that smart and important and good and perfect and appropriate? Brandon Hunt has a deep love for Amsterdam. It is where I believe he and Jason Sudeikis met when they were doing um, Boom Chicago. Also where he met Seth Meyers because they are buddies also, which makes me extremely happy. Um, uh, Brandon Hunt has talked on other podcasts about living in Amsterdam and doing a lot of drugs, specifically mushrooms, and how life-changing that was for him to experience another culture like that and to have these mind-expanding experiences thanks to hallucinogenics and that it was not the best time of his life, but it definitely it seems like it made a huge impact on him in terms of the rest of his life. Yeah, so it's just perfect that he's the one writing this episode. It's directed by Matt Lipsy. We're going to try to keep it gazellig. Um, we're learning what that means. I was like, oh, I can't wait for the line. I kept saying it in my head. She's just going along with it. She doesn't know what it means either. And I don't know what it means. And so it's like when the Huga, you know, the Danish word for like comfort. And so they, even these, 
these sort of the sort of uh, uh, different cultures in Europe have different words to to sort of comfort them or whatever. And um, in America, we have uh, I'm trying to think what do we have? Uh, MAGA capitalism. Uh, no. Oh, sorry. We don't have a word. We don't have a word for that um, necessarily. A single standalone word. So um, it's 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 pretty great. Um, I am uh, so proud to be uh, with these two wonderful people, boss and coach. We form a triangle of our own here. Um, you know, listen. Th- this has been a a journey, and we're going to try to get everything. Coach has been trying to. T- he's trying to coach me up behind the scenes because he's the greatest person that walks the planet. And he's like, listen, man, I know you got a vision, but I don't know how we're going to get to, <laughs> I don't know how we're going to finish this before the next episode comes out. And I'm like, listen, I, we just, we're going to try our best. There are so, this is the most dense, just reference. If we just went over the references and the connections, that's three parts four parts at like, least seriously every scene i was like that's this that's back to that that's back to that absolutely right it, it's nuts and so um yeah we'll do our best uh, i'm glad i'm not alone in this because there's nothing uh worse than being sad and alone um uh one pilgrim is alone is a is a zealot two pilgrims together is a pilgrimage and uh on this podcast three pro three pilgrims makes a goddamn hoedown and uh <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do everything we can to to bring you um, the best of this episode. Now I want to start out hold, with something. Hold on, Coach. Uh, I want to yes, jump coach. in really yes. quickly and say, sure. and I'm I'm now gonna blank on whose line it is. So I will make sure to find this out and share it uh, later. But there's um there's a there's a hip hop lyric that's bouncing through my head right now because you just did about four to five quotable lines where I was like, oh, I love that line. I love that line. I love that line. I love that line. In the intro, you just did that. And the the line is every every rhyme I drop should be a hip hop quotable because there used to be in the Source magazine this article <laughs> that was hip hop quotables. It was like, what's the like sickest rhyme anybody has put out in you know since the last time we put this out, right? So right. it made it was a big deal, like a real feather in a cap to be to have a hip hop quotable. And I feel like this this particular episode was just an hour of Ted Lasso quotables. Like, I was like, this is amazing. So I just wanted to call it out in general before we get into the specifics of it, that you just quoted five lines. I knew where each of those lines were, and this thing dropped last night. Was that by any chance from Tone Deaf? Is that who you're thinking of? Is what I Googled and they told me. Maybe. Maybe. That 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 could I, be correct. Let me check. But yes, that could be correct. I hope I hope that def is spelled D E F. You would be wrong. D E F F. Oh, D E F F. Oh shit! What's up? Mm-hmm. 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 That mm-hmm. that that extra F is for Roy Kent to yell fuck. <laughs> um, all right. So listen. One one thing I want to start with. Um, this is something uh, on our internal message boards at the. Uh, the antagonist blog. This is written by um, a little a little tidbit here from John Brown Spires, who is a wonderful writer, and he writes our, our Ted Lasso recaps. Please uh, visit and read. He says, "I was curious about Ted Lasso's increasingly and ridiculously long episodes this season, so I made a little spreadsheet with all the episodes by season and their runtimes. Among things, I discovered 
Okay, the first thing. After six episodes of season three, 298 minutes and counting, it's already 96.4% as long as the entirety of season one, which is 309 minutes. So, yeah, I mean, we're getting to season four, right? I mean, it's basically like this is three and four, I mean, for all intents and purposes. Um, another thing he said is uh, season three's average episode length, which is 49.67 minutes. Uh, is almost twice as long as season one's, which was 30.9 minutes. And it's already about a third longer than season two's, which is 38.83 minutes. And if you don't count the end, end credits, the two longest episodes from season one would both fit inside of last night's episode, season three, episode six, Sunflowers. So the two longest season one episodes, right? So, yeah. Thank you to uh, John Brown Spires for that that uh, insight, and and we really feel it, and that's why we're getting all these texts. And so, yeah, a tremendous uh, difference in runtime, and I mean, it's exciting. I I came out of last night thinking this is going to be many many Ted Lasso watchers' favorite episodes. I, th- I could just see like this is going to be an iconic sort of cherished thing. I felt like um, uh, it's also feels a little bit like. Um, our first Ted Lasso baby in that if uh, the Manchester episode and the, and the beard, I'm uh, uh, oh, sorry, the Liverpool episode and the beard after hours episode made a baby, it would sort of be, <laughs> be this. Absolutely. It's almost like Rebecca, Rebecca after hours. Um, and um, yeah. Oh, I've said before, uh, I think when you, when uh, it's hard to sometimes gauge, people's reaction to, you know, what you're trying to put out there. And so my favorite thing as a blogger has been, if I write something, um, it's, it's, it's when someone posts something in the comments and the, and you force someone to de lurk and coach and, and, uh, uh, boss don't know this yet, but I stumbled as I was uploading episodes and trying to get, get us all caught up before the, the new episode, I stumbled across reviews of our podcast now here's the thing that's kind of, yeah yeah i know i know i know <laughs> i know Co- coach is biting his nails uh boss has a very trepidatious look on her face it is a very interesting phenomenon because we did this out of love we did this because we're evangelists for the show it was the kind of thing we told hey told all of our friends you got to watch this this is this is the type of people we're trying to be. This is the type of show we want to see. These are the, this is a show that doesn't use cop outs like, oh, if only somebody had had a te- cell phone at the time, you know, or or if if any one of you know ten people had just said one line instead of it being awkward and taboo, you know, this whole subplot wouldn't have happened. This show doesn't have any of that. This show turns conventions on its head. So we started to do this out of you know for love of the game. And recorded for a couple of years in total silence, didn't post anything. And then we, we, we decided, okay, we're going to go live with, in conjunction with season three. And it didn't occur to me. I know this is crazy, but it didn't occur to me that, <laughs> that we would be rated, that, that someone would say, like, here's what I think of your thing. Because I, I'm like, oh, we're just, we're just talking. We're just out here uh, enjoying ourselves. And, and hopefully we find some other people that, um, that love the show. Um, 
And I went to, I copied and pasted the ratings and I went to email them to boss and coach. And I thought, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to rattle them. I don't want them to see this before I have a chance to set it up because among the we overwhelmingly great ratings, I think out of five, we had a 4.6 thing. So thank you so much to everybody. Um, and the most were five stars. But we had some one and two <laughs> star ratings. And I remember thinking, listen, that is so – if you're not ready for that, you go – you can just sit and, and stew on that. If you, don't, if you don't have experience taking criticism – it, it can hurt you in, in a place where it's tough to come back from. And so when I saw that, man, at first I was just like, wow. And one is like, fuck you. Like, fuck this. I came to listen to Ted Lasso. I don't want to hear your bullshit. I don't know you random three strangers. I don't give a shit what you do in your private life. Like, if you're not talking about the show, I'm not interested. Okay, fine. You hate us. Um, that's, that's okay, actually. That's that's fine. We That's not what we are. So, so yes, go. Good. Go find a podcast that suits you. That that's uh, whatever. It's the two star ratings that, <laughs> that kind of crack me up. And I have a little fetish where I I sort of I come from a family where we all poke fun at each other. Uh, I told you like the like the the far side thing with a picture of yeah, the yeah, kid, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and, that, and that's what they use yes. for me. And so two stars like yeah, it's not just just outright hatred. Like like oh, I didn't get what I wanted from this. It's like you know you're not <laughs> you're actively. You're not, you're not cutting it from or whatever. And I'm like, uh, cause if you take, usually when you, when people love you, they'll go, okay, yeah, five stars. We love you. You're great. Or, oh no, no, this is not for me. If you're anything like me, you don't want to do this one star, but two stars cracks me up. It's like, yeah, I'm going to take the time. I'm motivated enough to punish you or to, you know, to, to let you know, I, I didn't love what you're doing. Um, uh, but, um, you know, it's not, it's not. It's it's like in, in only in the net like we've motivated them enough negatively to to uh, to give us a two star review and I thought that is so fu- I had my head down laughing by myself thinking oh that is such a crippling thing so um, on top of that though to boss and coach I will say the comments that we got there's only a few of them but oh my god they were so nice and so thoughtful and so the people that took the time to do that for us I can't even it is just beautiful and stunning and you know we're all on this stupid rock going through space together and every time you can make someone feel like those comments made me feel and i I will share them boss with you and coach um it it just makes the whole thing worthwhile so i wanted to say thank you so much for the people that took the time and effort to do that and and uh yeah it just uh meant, meant a lot to me to read that and and uh it really means something to the three of us that we're finding a way to connect with, with so many people and, um, and not just, again, we were, we were stunned that it wasn't just in this country. It was, it was outside of America as well. Um, yeah. So we begin before we begin anything you guys need to say about anything about being rated about the listen rating and for the podcast is, is, it's, you know, it's like, don't be, you know, the whole Ted Lasso way is, is be curious, not judgmental, but a rating in and of itself presupposes some form of judgment. So you go, oh man, that's, I just didn't expect it. So it was a it, I, stupid on my part. I know, but I, I, I thought, I thought, you know, the 11 people that are going to listen to this are, are going to, you know, sort of be my aunt and, you know, what <laughs> Orlando's wife and 
that's probably probably it. So, um, oh no, probably Daphne doesn't listen to this, right? No, she can't get to. There's yeah. zero Not chance. Zero chance. Yeah, yeah. She probably has enough of you. Uh, yes, yeah, I mean, yeah. Listen, listening to my voice through her life, I think does, in fairness, exempt her from this. Like she, you know, it's, enough is enough at a certain point. And I have nothing to say about the ratings or comments. A, a, a general thanks, of course, and appreciation for everyone who is li- listening and rating and liking it. Um, shockingly, my ego is too fragile to read any of the comments. So I'm, I, I can't. If, if Castleton wants to convey some of the information to us, but I can't go like look for people's opinions of me. So. I'm going to have to bail out on that one. I, I have a, real, a great friend who uh, is pretty uh, significant Broadway talent. And at any rate, she shared with me that she really does honor that. Like, I think there are a lot of people out there who say, like, oh, I don't read reviews. But they read the fucking reviews. But she, but she really doesn't. And one of the things she shared with me I thought was incredibly insightful was people always think, oh, I'm going to send you this nice review. And she's like, well, no. Like, I don't read the reviews. Like reading the nice ones it's not it's you're still like playing the game so like you know that so yeah. I, I thought that was an interesting insight I, that's that's to, that's straight zava you must t- turn I, off these talking, talking heads, faces even when they're in our favor yeah, yeah they're talking face right yeah, yeah, yeah. even when they're in our favor that's right yeah that's right i did not i i stumbled across it boss i'll tell you that one of the one of the comments said accountants rock <gasps> that was one of the really ones. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. now, now boss is in all right send them on over <laughs> But that is because it's about accountants, not me. Whoever that very brilliant person is, they know accountants are geniuses. There's no doubt. Um, So, yeah. Oh, last word on that. Um, We get all kinds of weird, interesting stats, which I had never seen before. Um, And we have about 10 times the amount of listens as we do subscribers. And I think I'm learning about this stuff. And I think it really helps us if you subscribe. So if you if you like what we're doing and you've, and you can put up with us, um, it would be really nice for you to subscribe and, um, and like, and do all that other, you know, stuff and reviews, I guess really help. Um, but, but you know, that's not why we, we don't, we just do this because we absolutely love this show and, uh, we seem to be connecting with people who feel exactly the same way. And maybe the, the top of the tower so far is seasons, uh, three, episode six sunflowers. I mean, it is, stunning stunning in its depth and breadth and um i was amazed specifically i i will note uh no kjpr uh and no jack in this and so you know for me i was like okay like that those are things i'm less interested in i think in general although i love babs um i i think uh yeah, I was I was found that it was sort of like in the beginning when there was no Nate in the first couple episodes and I felt like oh this is okay i'm noticing i i like that um in this episode, we open over black with the sounds of a soccer game being called in Dutch. And we fade into Van Dam holding the ball, obviously having pulled it out of the goal after he's been scored on. There's this real slow, sad, plinky, pathetic music. Ted sits down in the in the coach's chairs and he goes, what, boss? Man, we can't even get a goal for an exhibition match. And Roy says, friendly. And Ted says, ain't nothing friendly about what just happened out there. Yeah, and Beard says they call exhibition matches friendlies, and Ted says, man, this sport drives me nuts, which is a great place to start with Ted's headspace. 
right here. Um, and Beard and Roy, he usually tends to in the middle. He's on the right-hand side. His left, our right, watching him. Um, they are, they're in their Mercedes-Benz seats over at the Johan Cruyff Arena in Amsterdam. Uh, Zwiedust, which is the southeast part of Amsterdam, I think. Um, Beard and Roy both nod. They're with him. Yep. Yes, this game, this sport drives us nuts. We cut up to um, the posh Ajax owner's booth. This is so hard for me because I have a son named Ajax. And, <laughs> and so, uh, but it's Ajax and um, it's the preeminent Dutch team in, in the Dutch league. Uh, for those who don't know or can't, don't know what's going on here. Uh, and it, a friendly is just a game, a warm up game. Uh, you know, sometimes it's a way to make money. Sometimes it's a way to get your players who have been injured some some playing time. Um, uh, veterans who are coming off of an international run with a with a uh, with an international squad, like with their country's team, can come back and you play a friendly. You kind of it's just a way to bone up on your skills that doesn't count toward international competition. Um, people, pe- I'm sure people will point out that's a little weird that. The timing of both leagues doesn't necessarily line up. Like it would be a little bit weird for the Premier League uh, for Richmond to have time off, but you know it's not unheard of. Things like this have happened. Um, Ajax is the Dutch superpower team, um, and they have won the champ. When okay, when you win uh, your league, if it's the Premier League, the English. The English team. I forget how many teams they send. I think it's four. I, I forget. I should have looked into that. But you have the Serie A, which is Italy to Italy league. You have the Bundesliga, which is German league. Every every team that has a, you have the French league and the Spanish league. They all send their best teams to the Champions League. And the Champions League is a, a tournament with all the best teams from all the best all the best leagues, and they play to win it. And uh, Ajax have won it, I think, four times. So they're they're a much more sort of dominant the premier league is a better league than the league that Ajax plays in but but Ajax is a much more um sort of dominant and widely known world superpower of soccer kind of team um and so yeah that's what's happening here um we cut up to the the owner's booth or or something uh maybe it's it's like sort of a outdoor uh I don't know this area that's up top. It's very cool. There's just four chairs seated. They don't even have um, like uh, you know, arena seating. It's 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 like, like nice chairs, and we have Rebecca, uh, Keely, and Higgins, and um, we have the. I don't know. I I don't. When I looked up who owns Ajax, it's like a trust owned by a series of corporations, or so I don't know who Maraline is. This the woman who's in charge. She, she runs Ajax. And uh, what does she say to Rebecca as she walks up, boss? Ah, Rebecca, my apologies. Now you've come all the way to Amsterdam, and we had a. Remind me again how it's pronounced. You just said it. I want to say Ajax. Ajax. Yeah. So you come all the way to Amsterdam, and we at Ajax have been such rude hosts. And the reason they're rude hosts is because we. She gestures up to the scoreboard, and what's the score, coach? Five nil. Yeah, five. Five nil is that's worse than the Manchester City situation. Just to level set. Yeah, that's destruction. That is um, complete 
uh, that's hu- that's abject humiliation. Like you don't come back from five nil. That that's coach firing. That's you know we talked about when does a coach get fired? Whatever. I remember um, there's a there's this uh, powerhouse team in the Bundesliga called Bayern Bayern Munich, and and they I remember they were so, they were so good. I remember they dropped to second place and fired their coach. I forget his name. I'm trying to remember, but that was like no 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 we don't. You know what I mean? So you never know. <laughs> you never know where those standards are. Five nil is you could easily see, even in a friendly, the headlines next day. Yeah, Ted Lasso let go. Um, you, you can't. You can't have it. You absolutely cannot have it. Um, Rebecca says, Marlon, you've been more than gracious, especially given the circumstances. Um, we cut to a uh, some fans, some Ajax fans, and they're holding a banner flag thing. And what does it say, boss? No Zava. Why bother? Yeah, almost why bother? I mean, you're, if you're going to beat a team five nil, why? I mean, you're risking your players to do to do what to play like against a high school. It's almost like um, what was the name of the team that the uh, that the uh, oh god the generals? What was the name of the team that the Harlem Globetrotters used to play? Oh against? yeah, the Washington General Washington, yeah, Washington generals? generals. That's right. Yeah, yeah the mm-hmm. generals. Right. It, it feels like oh. a little bit like like, like this is a. F- foregone conclusion you know what i mean like what are we talking about here you could have ix players get hurt playing against I, like a you know i wonder too if fire. that was a, a a commentary on how this friendly was put together because i would guess that whatever team zava is on is like if not the hottest ticket a uh, hot ticket so i could totally see you know they got zava set this up zava decides to retire and it's like well nobody we never said anybody was coming here to see Isaac. Like, what is happening right now? Um, so yeah, that, that 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 strikes me as a way that might have gone. I it's it's interesting. I I'm gonna toss this in right now just because it was like a very brief break in the action. This episode was so good that I both want to dive into everything that's happening here, and my brain is racing through. 15 to 20 things I want to talk about <laughs> in the episode. Like It's taking all my control not to be like, and what about, and what about, like, that's how good this was. So anyway, I just want to call that out. Well, you know, I, I toyed with the idea of, of mixing up the, the um, format a little bit because we tend to go in a linear fashion, but this one, I know what we want to talk about. And so we have to kind of get there. And I, and I, I played with it a little bit last, uh, last time, uh, last uh, episode where we started with the speech at the end and then kind of worked our way back to it. This one, there's too many things. There are too many things that are important moments. There's no one defining clear moment. There are so many beats, even small beats that are absolutely stunning. So we will go in a sort of linear fashion, but I'm with you, coach. There are so many things to go over. Um, the final whistle mercifully blows three blasts and it's over. Rebecca says, there we are. They all stand up and clap. Um, I we start to hear um, Bob Marley's Three Little Birds, and this is, I mean, it's one of the. I, I I don't know how everyone else feels about it, but it's one of my favorite songs, and it reminds me when I was a little kid. We uh, I grew up on a lake, and my parents would anytime someone would move off the lake, one of our neighbors, we would buy their. We would buy, make them an offer and say like, you know, and back then you could get a house for, you know, $80,000. These are tiny, crappy little cabins, just total trash. 
And then me and my brothers and my dad, we would go in and we'd fix them up and winterize them and try to rent them. And there's this one house right on the water. It's clo- It's when you're in the house, this cottage, uh, and you look out, there's like a picture window in the front. You look out the picture window, you can't see land because it's so close to the water. It almost feels like you're in a boat because it's that close to the lake. And we would rent it out to college. I, I may have said this story before, and I apologize. Like I said, we've been recording for several years, and I forget which ones we've said before. But I I lived in a, in a little co- a cottage that had no running water, had electric, but it had no running water. So I would use my parents' bathroom in their house. But just to get a little, you know, sort of peace, I would go to this tiny little house we call the Sugar Shack. And it's just like a what? tiny, this little, it's just, just this little tiny little house. I know it's a weird name, but that's what we called it. Um, Cause they used to make, you know, they used to make, um, uh, you know, maple syrup and things and, you know, whatever. So I lived in the sugar shack and I was like right next to this other house that we would rent. And we would typically get nobody to rent it during the winter. Cause it was kind of crappy and, and I guess nobody wanted to be there in the winter back then. Now it's rented year round. But what we would get was college students who needed like their first place and they would want to live on a lake for the summer. And so you would, it would always be dumb guys. This is just some dumb guys. And my mom would uh, rent to them and um, you would sit and you'd listen and you'd wait for the first day of summer to come when they put their music on. And it was this great anticipatory moment because sometimes it'd be like Danzig and you're like, ah, shit, we're fucked. Like this is going to be a really fucked up summer, whatever. But a few times, like more than I'd say four or five different years, you'd hear someone start to play Bob Marley. And then you'd be like, this is going to be a great fucking summer. And I remember that one specific time, the first time we had had two back to back, terrible tenants. They trashed the house and, you know, it was whatever. And then this other new group of guys and they looked like, super bro i was like oh this is this is not going to work out well but then i heard three little birds in the first day of summer and i thought oh my god like this is this is gonna be different everything's gonna be different so i have a really great uh connection to that and i just love that song that is a lovely story and also a lovely memory and i'm going to pass along to our mutual friend who is a huge metalhead and goes to festivals in other countries in order to see all of his favorite metal bands that apparently he's scum and you would not rent a place to him. I'll, I'll make sure to let him know that later. Yeah. Yeah. That friend of that friend you're referring to when he first met me <laughs> ran, <laughs> ran across a room screaming. My name. I've never met this person before yelling my name and screaming you motherfucker and then dove into my arms oh like, it he was amazing. he was on me he was on me like danny was was on zava that's how yes, when that's I, that great. particular guy so they're, yes they're no no this love. is not an indictment i love all kinds of music and it was not an indictment it was just that the profiling was oh yeah t- you tended to get less chill dudes if they were you know looking for mosh pits than if you had a bunch of reggae guys so um so anyway, this is, by the way, this is a real, this is a, this isn't just for the show. In the same way, Tiny Bubbles is a West Ham song. Three Little Birds is an Ajax song. That uh, it started, um, 
trying to remember it was 2008 i think and i i if i remember i just don't quote me on this but i'm I'm pulling from memory that i think it was like they they were wait fans were waiting for something or it was before the game or after the game and one of the djs just started playing it and it and it it, everybody hooked it it hooked into it and it was became a sort of iconic song that is that is connected to um ix um so rebecca stands up she says there we are uh, everybody stands up and claps, uh, um, you know, including, including Marilyn and, um, and Rebecca. And you see the, uh, on the pitch, Richmond players in orange, which are the Dutch national colors of the Dutch team, um, just despondently shaking hands with the Ajax players. Um, the music, uh, uh, uh is, um, you know, is playing. Oh, oh, uh, okay. Here, let me hear. I have this here. Um, yeah, it was 2008, and after a friendly match against Cardiff, I asked his fans to stay in the stadium longer than usual. So to break the monotony, the DJ um, pressed play and sent the fans in, in, into raptures, it says, uh, while they played Three Little Birds. So that's nice. Um, Rebecca says, till next time, to Marline, and uh, Keely says, oh, thank you. And Hagen says, what, boss? Truly, it was the on- an honor to play here at the Johan Cryoff Arena? Yeah, Ronan Cruyff Arena. Merlin says, oh, no, no, the honor is ours. And then in true Dutch fashion, uh, ours completely, but it's pronounced Johan Cruyff. 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 See? I don't know. But yeah. This it's is not why Cruyff. I haven't been Remember to they- Amsterdam yet. Even though I love tulips, I cannot go because I don't want them to say, you are mispronouncing everything. And yeah. I will. And this was a callback to the Jamie Jan Moss thing where he was like, okay, Englishman. Um, do you remember that coach? Yes, that was when they were debating the coaches. Yeah, that yes. was in the Roy, uh, Roy Needs to Get Keeley uh, episode. Wow, that is really Johan, frightening that I did. Johan Kruf, yeah, Johan Kruf is, is a um, – it's funny. Uh, yeah, you can go back and watch his stuff. It's amazing. The first person I – was aware of internationally was a Dutch soccer player named Marco van Basten. And he was stupid. He was crazy. <laughs> like, Oh my God, he was so good. I just, I just watched him and go oh, like, Oh my God. Uh, and his idol was Johan Kruf. So, so it was that kind of, uh, you know, the, the best guy I had ever seen growing up. Uh, his idol was, was this. So it was a lot like Danny and Zava or that, that sort of thing where it was a real thing. Um, I think, oh God, I, I feel like there was a story that Van Basten came in to his very first game for the national team. He subbed in for Cruff, I think, and then scored on his first time he ever played. So like he, he, I think he was 15 years old. He he was no, he was, Van Basten was, was, was stupid. I still remember 1988, him hitting this volley to win the Euros, um, I think they beat the Soviet Union, so we were all rooting for the Netherlands and uh, over in America. And it was this stupid cross all the way across the, from the left side of the field all the way to Van Basten on the right, and he takes it out of the air and puts it over the goalie in the far panel. And and you're just like, what am I? How is? How can you time that? How that is not human. Um, so anyway, just just fantastic. So Marline, uh, she she corrects Higgins. And uh, the stadium is, by the way, also, in case we didn't say it up front, is also named for Johan Kruf. Um, Higgins says, oh, still. And she nods and leaves. Now, um, 
Rebecca listens to the song for a second, goes for her drink, downs it, and says, what, boss? God, this song's depressing. I thought Coach would have a field day with this because I'm like, okay, this is, it, it's, this is just proof positive. Like, you can have the most beautiful thing in the world. And if your lens is off, like, you're going to hear it the way you hear it. That's and right. Go ahead, Coach. Take it away. A- a- absolutely. So it's, it's, it is truly, I mean, for the, if anyone hasn't listened to this song or heard this song, go check it out. Actually, if you have heard the song, I'd still say go check it out. Um, but it really does speak, like, when she said that, I was like, oh boy. She is, uh, she's on the dark side of things right now because it's a little bit like hearing somebody say, fuck these puppies. Like, it's like, whoa, like how fucking broken are you right now? What's going on here? Um, I also wanted to point out because it didn't strike me until you were actually walking us through this, that once, um, they're left there, they're three little birds. They're, they're there and, you know, threes and triangles and all that and pyramids are going to really show up in this episode. Um, so I, th- I do think this tri- trifecta or triumvirate is, is a significant one in the context of the show. Um, and that they start, I don't think they start us there by mistake. No, cer- certainly not. Uh, and I'm with you on that. Um, now we cut to an interview in the bowels of the stadium. We are, we are seconds into this episode. And I could not believe how hard I laughed, like in this, in this one, <laughs> this one. So we're in the interview in that somewhere down, you know, wherever they're doing a, a thing in, in, in like a hallway interview, your typical standard sports hallway interview. Um, Higgins and Keeley are down the hall looking on. There's a Dutch reporter who says, uh, would you agree that this has been an extremely demoralizing result? And we see Jan Moss, his, uh, his face fills the whole frame. And coach, what does he say? Yes, but luckily our spirits were already broken. <laughs> I I laughed so fucking hard at that. I was like, I was like that is. But luckily, and he wasn't like playing anything up. This was a Dutch yeah. answer. He was like, yeah. oh, yeah, no. But, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, you know, good thing was that we were already just Yeah, you can't break what's broken. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that which is dead can never die. Right, boss? That was on that show that ended after five seasons, right? It was just five seasons, and then that was it. Yes, was ma'am. That's nothing a, else. Uh, after six. That. I, I would say. I would say six. I would say six generously. No, that Yay. last. It's just yeah. The last episode of season six was my jam, boss. But still, <laughs> coach, coach. This is one of those things. I'm never going to watch it. Um, but yes, um, luckily our spirits are already broken. Another reporter switches to English. Camera pulls back, and we reveal. Somebody who does not do interviews very often. Who is that next to Jan Musk, uh, coach? Who is standing right there? Roy Kent. The great Roy Kent about to do an interview. So he must have uh, been asked by who, coach? Keely. Yeah. So remember when he offered and... and uh, yeah, I'll do some I don't know if you guys remember shit. a character named Shandy. Who used to be on the show. <laughs> oh, oh, rings a bell. Rings a bell. <laughs> Uh, nobody wants to ask you anything, whatever she said, right? Like, no one's interested in talking to you. Right, right. Uh, and he was real quiet. Oh, Keely, I'll, I'll do it if you want me to. So I guess she wanted him to. Um, now the reporter switches. He says, yeah, and so Roy Kent, uh, don't you think Richmond's objectively poor performance is uh, due to the fact that you're nothing without Zava? And and Roy, oh, God, Roy Kent. Boss, please tell us what Roy Kent responds to the reporter who cares it's a fucking friendly a friendly is a pretend match this is a pretend conversation you're a pretend person with a pretend job and i'm having a really hard time pretending to give a shit 
So great Man. job on coming through for Keeley, Roy. It's <laughs> <laughs> great interview. Really is going to sell the club. I mean, this is cl- classic Roy. My favorite part, I mean, I loved it. I was like, this is, it is a pretend conversation. It really is. You're a pretend person. I was like, oh, that one's, I was like trying to, and a pretend job. But I, I was, I was like, I'm pretending, I'm having a really hard time pretending to give a shit. I started laughing. But if you look at the scene again, if anyone watches it, Jan Moss is beaming. He is so happy with I this answer. Yeah. Right. And he goes, wow. Like Roy is basically Dutch. Um, the reporter then, of course, pivots. Uh, right, um, Jan <laughs> just go, just steers away. Uh, now we cut back to Keely and Higgins. Higgins waves to Kitman Will. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, Keely waves to Kitman Will and says, "Oi!" As he hurries past, she always oys it up. Uh, we get a shot from Keely's POV, uh, a POV as the interviewees uh, sort of finish, and then we get a fast uh, cut back as Rebecca rolls into frame left. And what does Rebecca say, boss? Okay, a night out in Amsterdam it is. Let's make the best of it. What's the plan? Yep, to which, uh, what does Higgins say, uh, coach? Ooh, I'm spoken for, I'm afraid. It's my first time in Amsterdam, and I have a date with someone special in the red light district. And he smiles. And Rebecca, she visibly is taken aback. Like She does the thing where she pulls her head back like, huh? And he smiles very sheepishly and sort of proudly and then walks away. And we get <laughs> we get a little beat here. And what happens, Coach? Well, uh, Rebecca and Keely watch him head down the hall after that very interesting uh, look into his evening. And then they together decide, nah, nah. which made me laugh. I, like in real time. Uh, that I thought that was great. Like. No, even even as much as there's the, the the trope of go to Amsterdam and be insane, like there's no way that he's going to the red light district for what that sounded like. So funny, um, and I like that they know everybody knows Higgins well enough, and we know Higgins well enough because I'm sure people watching were like, "Wait a sec, what?" And then, nah, like no, it's not, it's not that. Uh, we go back to the two of them. Um, just you and me then, kid. Um, Rebecca says, I'd love to. And Rebecca says, what, boss? Oh, that's a quick cancellation. And Keith says, how'd you know I was going to cancel? Because there's a certain note in your vocal range that you only hit when you're be- uh, being preemptively apologetic. Come on, out with it. I like that a lot. That was really observant. If you're being preemptively, there's a note in your vocal range. And Keely kind of did it because she was like, I'd love to. Like, there was like this really high, like, yes. I'd love to. Uh, and, and she's like, oh, wait, I hear that. Um, I love when you know people uh, that well. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's really cute between them. And Keely says, all right, apparently tonight it's the best Aurora Borealis ever. Uh, it's like the Aurora Borealist. It's hard word to say. And then there's a little beat. And she says, uh, where, where is the uh, Aurora Borealist uh, coach? In Norway, apparently, which as far as I'm aware, I've not been to Europe, but I, my understanding is that is not in Amsterdam. Yeah, not directly. No. Yeah. Just a hop, skip and a jump north from there. Um, how might she get there, coach? J- and Jack and her plane are waiting for me at the airport right now. 
Right. Wow. So, yeah. That's some baller yeah. living right there. It really is. And um, my first instinct was like to growl and be like, oh, fuck you with your plane. Oh, oh, like we're going to burn up the environment so that you can see some lights in the sky like Jack. Uh, and then my second thing was like, can I come? And then right, um, right. my third my third thing was like, I wish everybody just had the ability. What, what always sucks is if there are awesome things like this happening – that it's restricted, that like only certain people get to see them. And I go, damn, it would be nice if everybody could just have access to this type of thing. Um, but Rebecca says, subtle and amazing. And she says, go. And so I'm not going to get too far into it, but I was like, oh, it's so interesting that Keely is sort of waiting. I guess she works or she's subcontracted by Rebecca, but she's done her job here. Like from a work perspective, she's done what, you know, she was here for the interviews. She did whatever she needed to do and then, but she was still waiting for some like approval or okay for Rebecca. And cause he like, I promise I'll make it up to you. And I was like, Oh, that's a friend distinction. That's not a work distinction. Right. That's just like, I know I'm leaving you alone so that I can go traipse around the world and have fun in a private jet. But like, sorry about that. I, but it, I'm, you know, something I really want to do. Right. Boss. I only saw it as Keely waiting around because of course, Rebecca would assume that they were going to go out and do something fun and so sort of breaking the news to her. It, it does seem weird that she didn't do it earlier, maybe. But I, I didn't get the impression that she was waiting around for Rebecca, her boss, to say like, hey, it's quitting time. Go ahead and log off or whatever. I thought that it was just a uh, go have your fun. Okay, good. Yeah. I didn't know why she didn't tell her ahead of time either. But I mean, listen, we haven't even one thing I was going to say before we started. Coach Boss and I have not spoken about this episode yet. We haven't talked because we don't have time. We literally watch it as many times as we can before we have to start recording. And I write up the most detailed show doc I can, and they see it for the first time when they sit down. And um, so I'm not sure exactly where everyone's going to land on everything, but um, it seems like so far we're, we're basically uh, um, sort of in sync. Um, so Keely says, I, prom- uh, I promise I'll make it up to you. And Rebecca says, yes, you will. Um, Keely compliments Jan Moss as he walks by. Ooh, great job, Jan. And he thanks her in Dutch. And Keely says, and Roy, thank you again for doing this. Now we look down the hallway and what is the reporter trying to do with Roy there? The reporter that Roy destroyed. What's he trying to do, boss? He's trying to get nussy and Roy is not having it. And he yeah, quickly sure. moves out. It probably either the picture uh, doesn't have him or it has a blurred side of his face as he's moving out. But it's not a good picture. I, I tried to figure out what it was. And it was, I think when you hear the, the shutter go, it's Roy glaring at the reporter. It's him turned his face looking at him. like. <laughs> um, so Ke- uh, Roy says, oh, yeah, anytime. Keely says to Rebecca, I love you. Rebecca says back, I love you. Um, I always think that's wonderful um and uh you do a lot of love like coach and i will say i love you to each other uh uh, and i don't know why i don't know when it started i think when we got a little older um because when we were younger i always thought he's trying to kiss me most of the time (laughs) because i was yeah (laughs) um no, no, I think as you get old, I don't know. I don't know why. It just, uh, we just, I think like, I think a lot pandemic did had a lot to do with it. Some of the changes in the country had a lot to do with it where you're like, okay, let's reestablish, you know, me, all of our friend group does it coach, right? Like it's a pretty yeah. common thing, I think. now. Yeah. And it's definitely different 
I, I feel pretty confident in saying 20 years ago it wasn't the case. Yeah, th- there are definitely some shifts that have, you know, let, led us in that direction. You know, when we were growing up, there was a whole thing like, oh, you know, men don't like dads don't say I love you to their son. Right. It was like very, oh, that's too effeminate or something like that. I don't remember. And I, I mentioned before, my dad went to the Peace Corps when he was 67. And I remember he he was not a big I love you kind of guy. And I used to have a trump card on him because I would say I just I got to get rid of that term out of my glossary. Damn it. Out of my lexicon. I used to have an advantage. No. We're not going to see that word to him either. They don't get bitches and they don't get Trump. Trump means a thing before that asshole ruined it. So I say, keep right. it. Reclaim that word. That's ours. Fuck That's that true. Guy. That's true. That's true. It's like, it's like, uh, oh, they own the flag or something. Yeah. Um, but um, I used to make my dad uh, very embarrassed <laughs> because he could be mad at me. He could be doing whatever. And I would just go and I'd look him in the eye, just wait for a little beat of silence. And I'd say, I love you, dad. You know? I know, you, I know. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know it's hard for you to say, but I, I really love you, man. I love you. And and he would. <laughs> I like so much that you use "I love you" almost as a weapon. I mean, oh, not really. Hundred like, percent. Yes. Okay. Good. No. 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 For sh- no, but a weapon not to hurt him, but like he would get red faced. And he was born in 1929. He was a total, the greatest generation, totally different. You know, it meant it was just totally different. And uh, and he loved it. He loved it. Some part of him was like, God, I wish I could be that kind of person. So he came back from the Peace Corps and then he said it to everybody, all of us, all the kids. I think he just had some time in Africa. And, and uh, 27 months later, he was schmoopy as hell and just happy to <laughs> have it a. I'm going to say it to anybody. Um, so I thought that was really funny. Now, I asked you and then I talked over you um, uh, before you could uh, answer. What is the I love you status of you and your friends or your family? How often, how often does it come out of uh, boss's mouth? Um, so it depends on the friend. For whatever reason, my oldest friend and I, she's the um, what's up, bitch. And and that is the equivalent of I love you. Right. Um, of the other four, because again, I have five friends. Um, the other four, actually, it's hysterical. So one of them is Sunshine and Roses, and we tell each other we love each other all the time. Um, and then uh, one of my friends, she and I are, I'm trying to figure out the best word, not unemotional, but definitely not like super warm. Like in general, we love each other because, oh my God, this is it. This is what I want to say about her. One time I was telling her something and I can't remember what it was. I had exposed some horrific part of my personality to her as like just in regular conversation. And she said, I would ask who broke you, but I know. Like that's how we're friends. <laughs> she gets it. And she and I like routinely talk about how we don't, get particularly feely touchy feely and she and i uh tell each other we love each other all the time and hug each time we see each other coming and going so yeah i don't know i i think i'd say like 70 percent i love yous across the board yeah i think as a gen x parent i know i've i was like oh i'm never gonna not say i love you to my kids but i also try to not um make it become so commonplace that it also has no meaning at the same time. You know, like I, I, I used think to, about that like too, when they're, yeah. when they're little, I said, when they're little, I said for every night before I talk to man, love you guys, have a great sleep. Um, and then say something, um, to, 
joke with them or something like that. So I said it all the time. And now, uh, I, when, without talking them in, I say it less. Um, my, my, I only have one nine year old. My youngest is nine at this point. And so still, still tucking her in and still, you know, putting her to bed and all that stuff. But there's not some of the older ones probably, uh, don't hear it necessarily as much. So I try to make sure, you know, kids in college and things where I, when I say it when we hang up and I say it, you know, whenever I'm proud or whatever, I try to start with that. So they hear it and they're, Oh, thanks dad. And then they make fun of me. <laughs> I, I, I've, it's particularly with my son, I've I've noticed because there's a balance, right? There's like you know, you're also a 17 year old sort of you know, and uh, what I've de- what I've come to, and it seems to be working very well right now, is I say I love you, but I say it in a very um, matter of fact way, like I'm saying peace or see you later. So yeah. like I'll wake him up oh. in the morning as I go, I'm like, all right, man, I love you, man, have a good day. Like real, like, <laughs> and I've noticed, like, it doesn't feel like he doesn't seem to react to it in an awkward way, but I know he heard it, you know. So anyway, I thought that that's sort of been my <laughs> that's that's my fix between I know you want to be cool, and I also have the need to make sure you're here and that I love you. Mm-hmm. I love that. That's your that's your Roy Kent moment where I'm not going to be a monkey. I'm going to beat my chest like yes, a gorilla. Yes. That's exactly <laughs> yes. right. That's exactly right. We're, we're going to do this, but we're going to do it my way. Um, so yeah, Rebecca and Keely say, I love you. I thought it was really nice. Um, especially I noticed it later because when uh, when Rebecca was talking to Sassy, um, she says, I love you to Sassy, but Sassy doesn't say it back. And I was like, oh, isn't that... It's really oh, I didn't notice that. Interesting. But yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. Yeah. It's just who you who you choose it with. Even Boss was saying, "Oh, certain friends it's appropriate, certain friends it's not." Um, so Roy uh, walks away from the reporter mid ussy and over to Rebecca sees Keeley running off down the hallway, not looking back. So many shots of Roy and Keeley looking at the back back of each other in this season. Torture for the people that want them to get together, and we don't know. I mean, we don't know. That's the thing. This show has done such a good job and they're so tight lipped about spoilers. You know, you wouldn't believe what studios go through to keep spoilers from happening, to keep scripts out of the press. I mean, it is nuts. You know, scripts are all watermarked now and, and every edit, it has a security guard. (laughs) It's like, Oh my God, man. Uh, But they really have, like, I don't know if Ted and Rebecca are a thing. Like, Right, I know some people right. are like, yes, it has to happen. But I'm like, um, I don't we, – we do deep dives on this every week. And I like to think we're pretty tuned into the show. And I can't tell. Um, are Roy and Keeley 100% going to be together at the end? My, my instinct is yes, because I think that's what everybody wants. But I I don't know. I don't know. She's off and running. Uh, she wants to get to the Aurora Borealis. And uh, Roy says to Rebecca – what boss? What does he say when he sidles right up to Rebecca? Where's she going? Yeah, and coach, what does Rebecca say? Somewhere that believes they deserve her, and Rebecca just drops that on him. Like, how's that for he's fine? And and walks away. <laughs> like, oh, how you like how you like catching this truth, Roy? How you like that, boy? Right, right. <laughs> Yeah, that is that's for those. I, I hope everyone's catching what 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 
coach is, is putting out here. But this is a callback to the scene where John's wing, well, John Wings Knight had just left, and Keely and Rebecca were were you know outside the the restaurant or, or the yeah it was a restaurant wasn't it yeah and Rebecca was saying hey what'd you think and Keely gives some canned BS answers because she doesn't want to insult Rebecca and her boy's like he's fine he's fine like that that whole moment. Um, but what we like, what's amazing is like, what, why do you think he deserves you? Like, right. Like you deserve to be struck by lightning. The, and, and not that there's not enough to discuss here, but I do think this matters. And, and in the context of this episode matters, Roy, Roy was so right that Rebecca knew it in the moment. Keely admitted it without even saying a word. I mean, it was just yep. clear. Like, it wasn't just like, oh, and that's Roy's opinion. It was, I'm cutting through the bullshit of this moment and saying what is so. And Rebecca, everyone to this point that I can think of has said, but why, Roy? Why would you break up with Keely, Roy? Why, Roy? And we're sitting at home going, oh, no, he feels this way. And Rebecca's the one who's like, all right, let's cut the why bullshit, okay? This is what's going on here, and I'm going to be the one who puts it on a plate in front of you. And I thought, I thought that was very cool in terms of their dynamic. Yes. And also I felt like Rebecca understood immediately what Roy was doing because she did a similar thing with Sam. And not that she felt that she didn't deserve Sam necessarily, uh... but that she had to break up with him right then because she was not ready for him. God damn you. Good. Yeah, I agree. I think that lines up really well. <laughs> Damn, you are good. I mean, Rebecca being able to quick draw this line means it it seeded in her psyche. Oh yeah, and then that that became right. So Roy's always been a little bit of a Dutchman in that way. Like he didn't, he just tells it like it is. He hasn't really put on, you know, he doesn't spin anything. Um, you know, all right, I think you're a shit manager. He said to George Kartrick. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, tell yes. it like it's what you really think, Roy. You know. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, exactly. Um, so this really lodged in her psyche and pro- and provided a baseline for her. Like, okay, this is what you're aiming for. You're aiming for a lightning bolt. You're aiming for someone who is worthy of you. Um, and then she's able to turn it around on him. Roy, standing alone in a hallway. I mean, alone, alone. Again, a, a shot designed to illustrate his very much aloneness uh i I always mix up and so i'm gonna apologize in advance because i it's anyway long long lenses why like i always mix i always have to stop and really think about that because i'm a big fancy director oh no but seriously i do i like that part of it's always like a big mystery to me anyway um they make that hallway I think he would be using a long lens. They make that long that hallway about as long as eternity. I don't know if you noticed that. Like, I'm sure the actual hallway is long, but shooting down that narrow hallway the way they have, like they 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 maximized absolutely the length of that hallway. And I think you're right that that adds to the aloneness. I thought visually it was interesting. There's a lot of white space, but I thought visually it was interesting because. A lot of times when people try to make someone feel alone in the shot, you go wide and make them small that way. But they yes. made him small using the depth in the shot, which I thought was an, uh, a kind of cool tweak to what we usually see. 
That was super. We, we absolutely right. No, no, you're 100 percent right. We saw Ted in episode one of this season in the airport after Henry waved to him and disappeared. Right. That was a wide. That was a shot that highlighted uh, smallness of Ted in the airport. We saw Rebecca um, in in her office uh, when she gets the call. Um, we pull back. We get the shot through the door showing her alone in the office. So yes, you're right. And now this is a little bit of a different trick. And again, the creators, the editors, the DPs, the, everybody involved with Ted Lasso refuses to leave options off the table. They keep changing things up. They use every single thing in their arsenal, just like a good football club would. And um, they're hitting on all cylinders. So Roy is left alone in the hall, stunningly next to a portrait of who, boss? Zava from Zava. 2013 all the way through 2013. I cackled. That was the best. I cackled. That's who this guy is and who he has always been. They said it. And yep. Yeah, that was great. 2013 to 2013. Yet another um, uh, reference to Zlatan, who played for Ajax when Brendan Hunt was in residence in Amsterdam. Of course, it's Zava right next to Roy. And what does Roy do when he sees this coach? He he hits it. He hits it on. He hits the actual Zava name, and then the portrait falls down, and Roy kicks it twice. And I actually am curious to get your reaction here because I actually did, I specifically thought of you and the fact that you you often respond react to the real world sort of like what this would mean in the real world. And that's like fucking insane. Like that's something that, uh, you know, in, Rebecca might have to send like a gift <laughs> and an apology that like, what? Like your coach did what? But in the context, and it's not cool, but in the context of the show, I laughed and I enjoyed it. And it was, it, it was almost as cathartic for me as I, as I assume it had to have been for Roy, especially after a five nil loss. It's got to be like, oh, that guy crushed us. Yeah. No, yeah. You know, in the real world, yeah, it, it wouldn't be uh, – because it's Zava, because right, <laughs> 2013 right. – somebody would be like, yeah, I get it. Just hang the thing back up. <laughs> it probably has like three other holes in it from right, other right, people right. on the team hitting it, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, no, no, you make a good point. Um, I, I thought it was funny that the cameraman, because we were shooting from down the down the hallway when we see it, the cameraman didn't sh- turn and shoot that. Because I'm like, oh god, that's gold. That's like a trillion Great hits on yeah. uh, social Great on social point. media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, we cut back to the team bus now. No, we cut to the team bus now. Um, Jan Moss is getting on. The mood is, you know, predictably grim. Uh, Roy boards the bus. They're back from obviously they were late because their interviews. Uh, as Roy passes Ted and Beard, what does Ted say, uh, boss? Hey, hey, there he is. And Roy growls. And what does Ted say? Someone's in a mood. Yeah, him and Beard share a look. And someone's in a mood. Beard says, yeah. And Roy walks all the way to the back of the bus and just, like, it's like when you sit in a certain way, you just drop your weight, like like you sit like like fuck this, and you just drop drop yourself into a seat, the very back of the bus, which is where all the bad kids sit historically. Um, 
on school bus, you know, whatever. I, I, I coach, did you ever have? It's such a weird. Oh dynamic. yeah, no, I was definitely uh, a back of the bus guy back there talking shit or whatever we were up to, listening yeah. to things we weren't supposed to be listening to, whatever. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yes. This is when I, I know I told the story about uh, being on the bus for a school trip and then I won I won a contest. I told you this. I know I told you guys this. Oh, is this God, coming to you, time. boss? It's not coming to me. Mm-mm. Go, go 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 for it, coach. We'll put it we'll 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 put it in episode eleven. Go ahead. Part eleven. <laughs> <laughs> so we're in a bus and we're traveling to I to uh, a game. Um and we were listening to we used to bring boom boxes in the back, like these big portable speaker systems. And you know, people would have these preposterously large ones with they took 14D batteries. I mean, we, what the just, hell were we doing? What the <laughs> hell were any of us doing? Go ahead. No, it's crazy. It weighed as much as like a Ford Focus, and you would just be blasting music back there. Um, and we were listening to WHTT hit radio, WHTT. That was the Boston. You know, whatever radio, rock and roll radio station at the time, and I had signed up as their frequent listener thing. Yeah, I was a little kid, and you had that. You had a frequent listener club, and you'd—I don't even remember—you'd call up and get your name on a list. I forget how we did it, but um, they—they're uh, like, okay, we're gonna go out live to the new uh, winner of of whatever. You know, between songs, they're giving away an award, uh, a prize, and they say, um, okay, we're gonna call, and they—they they say my name. <laughs> and I'm on a bus. There's no cell phones. It, 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 this is like in the 80s. And I'm like, oh, like, I'm like, like, I just like totally stunned. Everyone's looking, staring at me. And the phone is ringing. And um, I, <laughs> I mentioned my dad was born in uh, 1929 and a little bit, little bit on the spectrum, though we didn't know it back then, but um, very limited range of knowledge. And so he answers the phone um, and he's like, hello. And I'm like, oh, crap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And they say, they say my name, like in a DJ voice, the DJ. And he says, Bleh! and he's like, for four free tickets to the Bruce Springsteen concert, who's the boss? And for those who, who is, you know, Bruce Springsteen is, was, his nickname was the boss. That was the, those, the answer is the in boss. the question. The answer is right yeah. there. No, just go. So, you, just so go. you guys did. He did not mean Angela Bauer. No, no, not no, not Angela Bauer. I don't even know that reference. What <laughs> is Tony that? Danza? Come on, man. Who's the boss? <laughs> oh, oh, come on, man. <laughs> don't you run a, a culture blog? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> Who's the boss? <laughs> right, right, right. My bad. Anyway, um, yeah, that's it. My dad uh, answers, uh, for, you know, whatever. And my, you know, he asks that question. My dad goes, "What?" And he so he says it again, exact same tone, total DJ voice, but he slows it down. For four free tickets to the Bruce Springsteen concert. Who's the boss? And there's silent. All eyes are on me in the bus. You can hear a pin drop, and my dad goes. I'm the boss. I own my own company. That's awesome. <laughs> how is this not the opening scene to a screenplay? Like, how? <laughs> how? Like, I feel like you're like it was irresponsible of you that this has not been captured. That is hilarious. I 
we laugh. This is a classic uh, thing about my dad. It was funny when my brother we, at his funeral, we were everyone was getting real misty, and um, it was you know real sad. His funeral, uh, and I said, "Listen, let's just remember how much fun this dude was and how funny the situation he's got himself into." I went home. I was like, "Dad, are you serious? I'm like, are you serious? Like for four? For, like, oh!" And he looks at me. He's like, "What?" And he's like, "I don't know who the frig Bruce Springboard is, Bruce." <laughs> Springboard. That's great. The biggest singer in yeah, the world. I mean, like, yeah, he's time. like, yeah, like, wow. Oh, Jesus. Wow. Just didn't, just didn't know. So, um, yeah, anyway, Roy walks all the way to the back of the bus, and um, and Ted has an idea. Uh, and, and walk me through what happens here, Coach. Well, actually, they turn – and then they turn around and look, and the team – like – this is way past the uh, the portrait uh, shot that we got in season two. I mean, this is bad. Like, the, like these. Right. This is like they are. This is the bottom. Like we kept wondering where the bottom is. This is clearly the bottom. And they turn back around, and Ted says, "What do you think?" And um, Beard says, "I think only you can get these guys out of their pineapple percussions." I was slow. Ted actually also takes a moment and he thinks about it and he goes, dole drums. And he's really like, he, he, he appreciates it. And I felt like in a, in a way that called back to the last episode where it was, I just said that, wait, you did. This was a way of signaling like, Oh, we're back in sync. Um, so then he nice. says, nice. And he goes, yeah, I'm going to say something. Stands up. And now he says, hey, fellas, I'm about to say three words no coach ever says unless he dang well means it. And Colin says, you're all shit. <laughs> and that's, that's, they're all feeling like that, right, obviously, right. right? No. And Bumber Catch says, what, uh, coach? I mean, what, boss? Knowledge is power. True, but no. And what does Sam say, boss? Live, laugh, love. That made me laugh. Mm, nope. Correct answer is no curfew tonight. Yeah, and they are all stunned. Even Beard's eyes go <clears throat> wide. Um, and and Ted continues. That's right. I don't want to see your pretty faces until we get back on this bus at what time, Coach? That's all you, boss. Ten a.m. Baby, <laughs> you heard the man. Ten a.m. Yeah. Every time he says the baby. What is it like regional lumber qualifiers, baby? Like whatever. Like yeah, it, every time great. it does the the baby, it's so awesome. Uh, God, I love beard. Yeah. All right, let's be careful out there. Hill Street Blues. Did you get that, Coach? Did anybody get that? Oh yeah, Boss, you get that? Yeah, yeah. I oh. mean, that, yeah, I used to watch I it. I, well, but not just that. But he says Hill Street Blues. Like it, I, it wasn't even uh, a reference. He like says the line from Hill Street Blues and then, and then says too. Hill Street Blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. It was that, a little that bit. Was, I'm guessing that's before your time, though, right, boss? A little bit. I think I watched reruns with the fam. I it, like it is familiar to me. I've watched enough. Uh, uh, I love the '80s that I am aware. Hill Street Blues was like that era where, you know, before before anyone knew it was copaganda. Um, yes. There were these great yeah. cop shows, Hill yes. Street Blues, and then it was NYPD Blue. But network shows, network shows that were dark and edgy and really well written. And, um, yeah, I used to get into that stuff like crazy. I couldn't get enough. Um, 
it's just great. It, like, like I said, it's so nice. You feel seen because, uh, at least our generation, you know, bosses, I think on the cusp of millennial ism, right? Bob, would you say you're somewhere in that gray area between? Yes. I am very elder millennial. Elder millennial. Yeah. And coach and I are Gen X and it's a tiny generation. And in many ways, things, so many references have gone from, Boomer references directly to millennial references, and there's just nothing, nothing for Gen X out there. And so you get these little moments like, yeah, we did like, – some people did experience Hill Street Blues, and it was fucking great. And it's just nice to – I don't know, to, to experience that on a show where you feel like somebody somebody sees you and, and you experience the same things as they did. I don't want to make you feel unseen, but I should mention I uh, would routinely confuse – Hill Street Blues and Taxi. And I don't know why, but for whatever reason, those two shows together became like the same one for me. Except that Taxi has um, Carol Kane, who is one of my all-time favorites, and I absolutely love her. Taxi is legit. Even if you watch it now, you're like, damn, Danny DeVito. I mean, it's... it's, yeah. Oh my God. Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd and the aforementioned Carol Kane, who is... uh, have I ever mentioned that I sounded exactly like her when I was little? <laughs> like when I was like two or three? No. That's great. <laughs> That's somehow, great. <laughs> not even the high pitchness, but also I did sound like I was from New York. I don't know why, but um, there was a line my parents used to say all the time. Uh, it, they had, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Carol Kane and Christopher Lloyd were dating. She was an immigrant and trying to get her green card. And they'd screwed up one of the answers during one of the immigration interviews uh, about which movie they had gone to see. And so the line was, it, one of them said an officer and a gentleman and the other one said Gandhi. And the line is, I'm going to get deported because you can't tell the difference between a Richard Gere and a bald Hindu with glasses. And I used to say that all the time as a little kid oh with that bizarre voice. So there you go. That's an insight into my childhood. Yep. Coach loves him. Coach loves hearing about it. Just scares me, but um, it, it Coach should. does love it. Yeah. Um, so te- uh, Beard says, smart move, Coach. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, right? I, I just wanted to, to jump in here just from like the truly like leading a team place that i had that i had beard reaction so this felt again and i think i'm more sensitive to it because we have discussed um you and i coach and and all three of us in the context of the podcast have discussed places where it didn't really feel like the real coaching was being whether it was not being done or not being shown and this struck me as like that is a coach getting that like we gotta shake this up Everybody feels like crap. I have got to put a smile on somebody's face at this point. Um, so yeah, I like I liked it. Independent of the fact that it promised a great episode, I liked it as a uh Ted is managing the team. And Beard makes it clear like this is his part. As much as he yelled at Ted, sometimes they need to feel like killers or whatever, he realized, oh, this is not a me moment. They don't need me. They don't need speed on the outside. They need right. they need some right. Ted magic right now. So I thought he delivered it. Yeah, no, I think it's uh I think I think you're spot on. I love that point. I think only you can get these guys out of their pineapple percussions because 
there's a division of labor, and this is the you moment. Like uh, when Roy's like, uh, when Zavos like, which one of these is me? And Roy hits him, is like, you're the fucking coach. Like, like yeah. this yeah. is this is Ted's wheelhouse. Like, I will manage a lot of speed on the outside. Anything else, coach? A lot of speed. Um, I, that's what I do, and then you manage the personalities and the moods and the team dynamic and the vibe and all that stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, no, this is Ted. Ted is up up for the challenge. A lot of people. It's funny. We have a one of the writers uh, for our blog was saying uh, on the Slack channel. You know, I think I'm like li- less invested in Ted than everyone else, and. This is just the, her particular take is she feels like the Ted subplot has gone on long enough without him resolving things that it's it's gotten past her feeling sad about it and got her like where she wants to smack him and go, come on, man, snap the fuck out of it. And granted, she is a um, she is a mean, mean woman. This she's a, she's uh, she's a mean. She's somebody I get along with very well. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> she's yeah, she's also my cousin by marriage. Um, so uh, she kicks my ass or not really by marriage because i'm not married but by whatever the hell it is do you know that oh you didn't know she's juliana's cousin no oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. jesus christ all right fine yeah yeah, yeah. last so one i can't get away everything. yeah isn't that good so i can't get away with anything they just dish and then here's what your idiot did on the slack channel today and um so yeah it's hell uh but anyway um yeah she's just like she's ready for ted to take uh take take action she wants to see some agency and um so i understand that some people feel that way they feel like oh i'm more there's been so much done to move the plot with so many other characters that uh you know i could understand how certain people wouldn't be as invested in the ted thing uh and they say like is he even a coach like seriously what are his qualifications it should be beard it should be roy whatever and we've mentioned things like this in season two but at least right now um he takes the initiative and he redirects the team. Beard says, smart move coach. Ted says, yeah, well, you know, they need it. And then what does Beard say, boss? Not as much as you do. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's yes. Not, uh, not as bad as you do. And, he, you know, what, it, I guess it's easier. He's Ted's best friend. Like he, he knows him. As well as you can know a guy, and it, to me that felt a lot like Rebecca's line to Roy. Like it was like, yeah, and it made sense to me in what we've been seeing throughout the season. Of you know, why are you not acknowledging that we're about to play Nate? Like, there's a lot of like, hey, hey, hello, anybody, anybody in there? Um, from Beard to Ted. Yeah, and there aren't. Listen, there aren't that many. You're right, and he's the one to say it. Boss, you're going to say something? No, no. Um, there aren't that many cities. Van Dam freaks out. No curfew in Amsterdam, boys. Um, there aren't that many cities where you go, "Hey, where are you guys going?" Uh, and, oh, we're going to uh, Amsterdam. There's a few cities in the world like this. You know, we're going to uh, Vegas. I know is one. I would say Amsterdam's another. Ibiza. You know, like I don't know. I'm trying to think. What else? Any other cities like that where you're like, oh, shit, oh, shit's about to go. <laughs> like, oh, Amsterdam, huh? Gee, wonder why you picked that one. It used to be because you couldn't smoke pot smoke pot in America and you would just go to get high. Like that was It was more, I think, of the sort of the drug availability. Um, and now, thank God for all the blue states that 
<laughs> Smoke weed in your kitchen. Yes. Um, but yeah, no, no curfew in Amsterdam, boys. And 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 Danny says, should we all take naps so that we can stay up later? Should we all take naps? He's such a little kid. Like it makes sense, and the disco nap is a real thing. But somehow, as Danny says it, it, it feels a lot more like there's going to be nap time, and then there's going to be snack time, and then there's going to be story time, and then they're going to go to the red light district. Like it's like he he just you know he delivers it like a kid. It's so great. Um, so Isaac stands up, and now we see real captaincy here. No, we push through, and we all meet in the lobby at five o'clock sharp. And Jan Moss yells, yeah! And Jamie gets all fired up. Coach, what does Jamie say? Jamie Tart says, what? Tonight is going to be mad, you know? Right. And then, boss, what does Roy Kent in the back of the bus yell? Not for you, Tart! Not for you, Tart. Roy is still coming. He still has the just punched a picture <laughs> and mm-hmm. level of anger, right? He and uh, he has no soccer to channel his anger into, so he stews in it for a minute. Not for you, Tart. The whole bus gets silent. Jimmy goes, hey? And what does Roy say? Let's go! Now, Ted and Beard share a look. And there's this, you know, we were talking about how I didn't like um, when Jack kind of shit on Babs when she left, you know, I just was like, oh, is that okay? And you guys convinced me. Yeah, no, it's it's fine. It, people do kind of poke fun at each other. And this is the tepid version of that. This is like Ted Beard, like, look, making it look like, who? Ted raises his eyebrows at Beard, like, sheesh. Like, even when I give everybody a day off, like, he's going to do this right now? And Jamie says, you serious? And what does Roy yell, boss? You're not on fucking holiday from training. You're not on fucking holiday from training. Which is, which is, yeah, that's hardcore. What about me stuff? And Roy walks past him on the bus, grabs it. Jamie says, right. And everyone watches in silence. Silence. Just like when he's like, oi! None of you say a word to this fucking prick, right? Yep. Anytime Roy's mad, man, he cows people. They just, they just, (laughs) everyone holds their breath to see what is going to happen now. His his anger is palpable. Uh, he snags Jamie's quote unquote stuff. It's, it looks like it's just a little medicine bag or something, a little kit. I don't know. And he, yeah. and he, what is that? Right? It was just a little like go bag, or I don't even know what that. Yeah, yeah, it's, makeup. No idea. It can't be like his clothes and stuff. No, and no, also, it wasn't nearly big enough it, for that. Even if. They were what we're going to learn is that they're going to go be training. It seems like you could carry that. It wouldn't be the most convenient, but definitely you'd like. I'm not sure why he's worried about his stuff. I see. Here's the thing. I just love this writing staff, and I love Brendan Hunt for doing this because I'm the guy. I don't know. I can't speak for the two of you. I don't know how you feel about this, but I'm the guy that gets irritated when this kind of shit happens. Like if you see. Everybody um, gets on the bus with a rucksack, and then the next scene is one of the dudes without the rucksack, like climbing up a, you know, rappelling up a rope. So I'm like, where the fuck is this? Ru-? I always notice that stuff, and it makes me crazy. So I'm like, oh yeah, Jamie had this thing, and they're going to take it away later on. Rebecca, before uh, we have an event, she goes, I didn't even bring my bag. I'm like, thank you, thank you, because I didn't would have worried about that. Um, anyway, I really loved this. And Roy um, grabs his stuff, walks up to Will, 
And he says, what, uh, Will? Throw this away, please. <laughs> throw this away. <laughs> Just throw it away. I mean, uh, Roy. Roy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Roy will address exactly this, which is in this episode, you know, it, it, oh, it's so good. It's so good. So anyway, Jamie's like, okay, then like, there's a lot of choices Jamie can do here, right? Jamie could be like, no, fuck you, man. Like, fuck you, old man. I'm not going to do that. That's Jamie Tart to a T. He would do that. He could negotiate. He could say, come on, coach, one night, you know, all the boys are going out, right? He could do all that shit. Um, he could say, how about oh, we run for an hour and then I'll meet you boys. He could do a hundred different things. But what he does is what, coach? What does he do? What does this version of Jamie Tart do? I agree with him. That's a little call back to Keeley explaining how you handle Roy effectively. And that's what he does. I mean, he, when he, first he walks past, uh, when he walks past Will, he's like, uh, yeah, don't throw away my shit, which I thought was funny. But when he's getting off the bus, it's not like, all right, fine. If you say so, I got, like, he's like, I'm getting off the coach, coach. Like he's, he actually throws like a Tedism, like, yuck line in there as he gets off like uh shadow boxing like i was like oh wow and then what what's roy to do with that right i think roy would have actually been more comfortable if jamie had come off the bus like what the fuck and then they could have fought and roy could have gotten out all that and that all that anger that he had pent up and was ready to spew but instead jamie's like all right i guess we're i guess we're training here we go And uh, I just thought that was, it it really was the absolute best choice. Any of the other things you said, as much as they were perfectly reasonable, would have ended horribly. And he just makes a great choice here. I just agree with him. And I I love how you brought it all back, because this is right back to that scene. Yes, I do play conformity. And you're ugly. And you're yes, ugly. Yes. You're an ugly, <laughs> ugly boy. With, with bad hair. <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> oh, Jamie's face. Uh, this, by the way, I just, just want to point out, this is Phil Dunster's like first real major gig. He's. Yeah. He's. Okay. To say he's great, because I feel like everything we could say great like i feel like we we end up talking on this show about whether certain things are an a minus or an a like you know what i mean like it's all within a context uh of their greatness but that's unthinkable to me that someone who is delivering this effective of a, a of a performance isn't far far more seasoned than we're talking about he plays and I, I will go to my grave saying that I don't know if there's anything harder to play than the dummy, than the space cadet. Yes. He does that exceptionally well. Now he's actually kind of becoming the sage. And I'm totally buying him in that role now. Um, he's the one encouraging the team. He's probably the most like Richmond till we die element of this season thus far. How, how he pulls all that off, how he can pull off slimy, what am I supposed to do? Shower by myself and then pull (laughs) off Keely. I love you. And I know this is mad, not cool to say. I mean, 
the range of shit this guy has done in a couple of seasons, unbelievably no, no, well. It's it's breathtaking. I was I was being hypocritical, not uh not ironic. Yes, even <laughs> right. Yes. Philistines, and then I was being hypocritical. Right. Not ironic, and I bought both things. Tina Turner, Stevie Nicks. It's not pre Madonna. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it is it is stunning, and and the thing is, like we we like to talk. You know, this is the whole point of a deep dive podcast. Is you really want to suck the marrow out of, of out of every part of this? And I love everything you're saying, Coach, and it makes total sense. I just feel like this. Jamie is so influenced historically by terrible people and makes all the wrong choices. Um, and then, uh, like, I imagine if old Jamie were here, right, this would be a fight. This would be a fist fight with Roy. This would be where the whole team really, you think it's rock bottom now. Um, it would be really, really ugly and really bad. Not to mention the fact that you wisely point out Jamie is a leader now. He's the one that in the, was, was coaching everybody up. He was the one holding center in, in, in with the lasso way when everybody went Zava crazy. He, he is the sole remaining consistent member of the team. And if he had not done everything he did, this could have been so even, I don't think there is, there's no, whatever the through line we're going to get and whatever the trajectory toward the end of the season does not happen. Uh, without Jamie making these choices, so what, I don't want to miss. I don't want to miss any little beats, and there are a couple in here before we move on. Um, Roy yells, "Let's go!" Jamie says, "Great, sick. You have fun to all the boys." And as Roy is walking out, Ted puts his fingers over his eyes to simulate Roy's huge eyebrows, and Beard laughs like they're <laughs> yes, yes. And this part was as much as last week when uh, Beard said, uh, no, you needed to hear it. As much as they were off last week, they were back on this week. Between the doldrums and the eyebrows oh my God. and Beard laughing, like, right? They, it, they're back. The spe- Even if the speech did not mean that they won this game, it does mean that the two of them are back in sync, which I really like. It's a it's a ne- it's a necessity for Ted Lasso. Anytime they feel out of sync, everybody in the audience feels out of sync. You have to have Beard and Coach and Beard and Ted uh, completely in sync. Um, so he says, "Great, sick, you have fun." They make fun of Roy's eyebrows. Jamie says, "Going to see the sights, training Amsterdam." That's when he stops at Will and leans in. Don't actually throw it out away. Don't actually throw it out away. Yeah. <laughs> Will says, "Okay." One other because thing, that, but, he, has go, he has to go against Roy to say okay to Jamie, you know, like yes, yeah. Um, it, not the show itself, but anytime anybody asks anybody to throw anything away, it's immediately um, Mitch Hedberg's voice in my head, a comedian, uh, saying, "People handing out pamphlets are basically saying, here, you throw this away.'" And I think, and I la- anytime anybody has a flyer, I think, no, no, I'm not going to throw that away for you. I'm just going to throw out that uh, we cannot go down the Mitch Hedberg side road. It's just <gasps> un, like we can't do it, but we will one day, you and I. And <laughs> he is such a, sp- I am a total, I've done stand up, which I'm sure I mentioned somewhere in the 97 million hours that we've uh, subjected our audience to. <laughs> but I really, like I do with most things I get into, really dove into learning about different comics and learning about different kinds of jokes and learning like, well, what made that work and what makes this work and who seems to be in the same area? And Mitch Hedberg is 
possibly the most singular comic I came across. Where I was like, yes, you could kind of compare him to Stephen Wright, but not really. But and, not exactly. Yes. And and my favorite of his was he was at an, an improv doing, you know, doing his whatever. And he says improv. And then he makes a joke about how we should add an E. And then it would just be improve. And I don't know why <laughs> that fucking joke took me out. But I mean, it took me out. Like, even as I was laughing, I was like, I'm not sure that this is as funny as I am finding it. But oh, my God, I laughed so hard. But yeah, if you should end E, be improved. Yes. I don't know. Anyway. Oh, my God. We definitely can't because I will talk about him all day. He was a goddamn genius. Yeah, and I'm seriously. so sad yeah. he's no longer with us. Um, but all time favorite joke of his, hands down, is the sad thing is. Try as you might, you'll never be as good as tennis as a wall. And for I, it, it yes. kills me. It fucking kills me every yes. time. I love it. You'll yes. never be as good at tennis as a wall. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck are you talking about, you lunatic? It's so funny. I have a um, boss. I have a brother-in-law who is pound for pound the funniest person on the planet. And it's funny because you made me think of Mitch Hedberg because it's a his version of comedy is so niche, but yes. it, like his, like his, here's what he does. He likes awkward humor. Um, and he, what he does is like, he'll go to weddings and things, any family function. And what he'll do is he, he thinks it's so funny when he just hands people stuff that they didn't want. So he'll find like an ancillary member of the family, like the new boyfriend or something like that. And he'll just pick up, anything stupid and just hand it to him as he's walking by like here you go and people generally take what's given to them <laughs> they just and accept it and it's like they oh. just accept it yeah he's like he'll pick up like a centerpiece yeah and just you hand it and then walk away and then everybody stares and like oh god and then the person just stands there like an idiot and holding something they never like what am i what what just happened so, what am i supposed to do with this bread roll it, it really is like that and he loves it but he has a hundred of those so that when you put them all together it's it's like nonstop um, enjoyment, but yeah, Mitch Hedberg. It's amazing when people see the world in a certain way. I was thinking about when you're when you're when you're structuring Ted Lasso, you're going, you're saying things like this in the beginning. You're sitting down pre season one. You're, uh, you know, I know Jason Sudeikis sought out uh, Bill Lawrence to try to like get a like a experienced showrunner to take his silly commercial thing right and, and turn it into something and you have a sense that they said like okay look well, yeah we have a theme of you know triangles and we have a theme of uh you know amsterdam was really profound because uh this is where we met and this is where you know this is where we learned learned to fall in love with soccer we have this superstar player that we, we, we you know we all started following um we have the we want the trope of the aging veteran who can't do it anymore we want the trope of the upcoming superstar who you know doesn't have his head right um we want to talk about triangles and john wooden's um pyramid of success inverting the pyramid uh you, you know and you have all these things and it's like Whenever I watch this, I go, they can't have constructed this many super tight callbacks without having structured, at least at least outlined the shit out of season three so that they could build the things into season one. Because that's you just get so 
behind the game, you can't, you know, you, you can't think of season three when you're writing season one, usually because you're just behind the eight ball. You're always trying to please a network and you're on a timeline and, you know, TV happens so quickly. Um, you don't have the luxury to do that, but this show, I cannot believe the amount of cult. It's like, they must have really structured all of these elements in and they, and it, it works, you know, to have the, the, the fluidity and the specificity. I mean, it's actual lines, it's actual beats, it's actual set pieces. And you just go, Oh my God, how that just doesn't happen. So yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, it's, it's tremendous. And, um, yeah. I have one more thing to blow Coach's mind. This is going to – I don't think he noticed this, so I'm really excited to say this to him. Coach. Uh, I only say it because I think it will specifically blow your mind. Hopefully it blows Boss's mind too. Um, we talked about Jamie and his choices, and he says, all right, I'm going to see the sights. Don't actually try to throw that away. Yeah. Um, and then he said, and you said how he says, Hey, wait up, coach, getting off the coach, coach, right? And you did, you said how he does a little shadow boxing on the way out, right? Um, to which Roy isn't having any of it. But here's the thing I think you may not have connected. Who else in this story have we seen shadow box? Yes, I didn't notice until you started to say it. And I went, Oh my God, his father. His father. I'm, not, I'm That's just kidding you. I'm just kidding you. Yep. It's the shuffle step with the shadow boxing, except he takes the, the personality trait, which is douchey, and turns it into something super fun and playful. So not that symbolizes that he has not only transcended the trauma of this complete talking penis, but he has incorporated some of the mannerisms and turned them to the light side to use them for good. Yeah. Wow. Well, I lo- well, oh man, you really want this to be a 30 episode, <laughs> uh, a 30 part episode. You really, you're just dying to see if you can break a world record, aren't you? But no, but oh my God. First of all, I love that. Second of all, I actually thought for other reasons that we can touch on when we get to them that a lot of this was about synthesis, which makes sense given where we are in the overall arc of this entire story that's being told. And so for me, what I love about what you just said is like, what synthesis, right? Like what, like I'm a thing or I've I've got certain things in me or about me. And rather than it being, I never shadow box because my father was an asshole. And it's like, he's just like, he's integrating it all. Like, it's like, I'll take this. I'll take a little bit of that. That's actually Jamie's arc throughout, like from episode one, we have watched him not just come of age, but we've watched him synthesize things. Right. So his mom was telling him to be a good lad, but his dad told him to dominate. So he like tries to synthesize those. He's a little bit off, but then Ted Lasso comes into his life. And so then he's like, you know, I don't think I'm going to, sh- I actually do show up 
to 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 burn these fucking cleats that guy right but then i get shipped off so i gotta be pissed off jamie again but then i make the extra pass so some shit from from this has stayed with me and it goes on and on and on his apology to roy his you know what he did to need to apologize what he said to keely he didn't say to keely Wow, your ass looks unbelievable in that uh, funeral dress. Let's uh, go run to a bathroom stall. He, he like he's like, I love you. Like, that's, a, that's not that's not the what am I supposed to do? Shower by myself, guy. Like he he is constantly evolving, but not just evolving, but like integrating the pieces. So shit, I was trying to learn, and I became conformist. Oh, there's now sometimes I have to mix in the asshole part. Okay, I'll synthesize that. Um, and that really was in real time that this has all hit me about like how Jamie has progressed, but it really is constantly not about changing who he essentially is, but about evolving it and synthesizing what he's being given from the people and situations around. Him. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I love that you connect it, not recovering parts of himself because it's not like he lost them necessarily, but it I do feel like becoming healing, I guess the best way of saying it, healing from trauma, especially from childhood trauma, isn't about denying parts of yourself that you think are associated with bad stuff. It's feeling okay with those parts, even though they're associated with bad stuff, and then making it associated with something else. It's like um, not being able to listen to a song that you used to love because it reminds you of an ex. And then like, rediscovering how to love that song, even if it reminds you of your ex, is finally moving past the trauma itself. Yes. And if you, right now, start playing Vanessa Williams' Save the Best for Last, oh. I'll kill you, boss. <laughs> uh, can, you, can you sing that for us, Coach? Just a real quick rendition of Just that. Just when I thought our chance had passed, you went and saved the best for last. <laughs> but uh, but no, thank you. I, I, thank you. <laughs> but no, I'm I'm with you on that. And yes, and I and and I will um overshare totally uncharacteristically and and say that some work that that I've actually done in therapy is like all these things from my life. I've created like essentially characters now. Like that's how I actually think about my own thinking my own personality. So it's like the seven-year-old, the protector, and it helps me to like organize what the hell's going on with me. And there's a character because I was watching the last dance uh, documentary at one point when I was working on some of this stuff. There's, there's a part of me I describe as my Rodney. And he is uh, always ready to have a fight if necessary, or just go out and have a blast of a good time and forget the second half of the night. Like he, he, he you're saying, like, you're saying, my, I just want to clarify. You're saying Rodman as in Dennis Rodman, Dennis Rodman. Yeah. Got it. That's okay, my, cool. there's my Dennis Rodman. So what my, my therapist and I, my therapist and I worked on is that I needed to be able as co the coach who we've decided is the version of me who should be in charge and is best qualified to have us not go off the fucking rails. Um, <laughs> coach and like coach recognizing like you know what i'm always yelling at rodman and i'm always punishing rodman and shaming rodman but the truth of the matter is the bulls don't win those championships without rodman and neither do we like 
there's almost nothing we've accomplished that he hasn't had a hand in. <laughs> and so what we worked, I would swear to God, this is like truly, I'm told exactly zero people and now I'm telling thousands of people this. Um, and so what we came to was that as the coach, I needed to be able to say to Rodman, I want you to go sit on the bench. And I do not want you to come charging off the bench anymore. If I want you in the game, I will put you in the game. And trust me, when I put you in there, I'm putting you in there to be you. I'm not going to try to change you anymore. Do your thing. But you can't go in the fucking game on your own. Like, I have to send you in there. So, it, 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 that, so I guess this really speaks to me because it's, it's Jamie really learning, like, well, what do I have to be right now? And, and, that's, I mean, that's super Zen stuff, right? Like this moment, what's required. He knows Roy, e- even if it's totally fucked up that Roy's doing this, which on some level, you know, if I'm on that team, I'm like, God damn, coach. Like, all right, man, like I get it, but damn, you know, but there's nothing to be gained by Jamie saying, come on, Roy. Like, no, just apparently we're training tonight in Amsterdam. This is the choice we're making. Okay. All right. Now I was wondering whether or not this is a this is just a very ancillary question, but um, I was wondering whether or not the team un- knew that this was happening in the background, like that they knew Roy was one on one coaching. I did too, Jamie, because I thought that was a little bit of a secret thing. Yeah. And then I know that like they've had their, you know, he's like, you can take a certain percentage off my paycheck. You remember when Roy yelled when when Jamie says, "No, the best thing I can do right there, coach, is give him space. I gotta trust him." Right. And, and he, and, and Roy's like, fuck, because he realized about him and Keeley. Right. So people know that there's tension between him and Jamie. That, that That's a known quantity. Um, I can't, I don't, I don't know which one of you I nutted or whatever, because I don't see too good. <laughs> he goes in there, you know, vanilla vodka, what a child. Um, and, and that tension has been there since day one, but I, don't know i wasn't aware that this was commonplace knowledge like you know this they have been training on the side and so i thought it was really interesting in front of the whole team that he pulls them off the bus nobody seems to bat an eye so maybe it's like a known thing right maybe it's like girl talk yeah that's what i came to too yeah i was i was i was surprised too though because i did think it was kind of like their you know private thing but yeah it did feel like no no one reacted like what do you mean? Are we having practice? Like, or, you know, our training? Like, no. Yeah. I guess that was a understood thing. Um, the last word on the matter is Jamie's doing the shadow boxing. Roy isn't having it. Roy y- runs off and yells, run. And then Jamie jogs off after him. And so those two are gone. The doors close and everybody pipes back up again with like pure excitement. And, and boss, uh, walk us through, uh, this next little interaction with Will and Higgins, if you would, please. Sure. Uh, Danny, being Danny, shouts, this is going to be so good. And Higgins, sitting next to Will, says to him, hey, how about if you roll with me tonight? Will, slightly surprised, says, that'd be wonderful. Thank you. And then Higgins says, yay, great. Our first stop, the red light district. Yeah. Yep. Not the thing. Listen, Higgins, I understand who you are as a person, but you are going to need to start explaining this to people. Like, it's one thing when Keely and Rebecca were like, nah, no, that's not what he's going to be doing. But I think you need to explain to the kit man, your employee, that the reason you are taking him to the red light district is not for the reasons everybody would assume that it is. I, yes. And I, the joke 
absolutely worked for me. They make a runner out of it. I get it. But yes, I was with you where I was like, all right, Higgins, like, are you doing this on purpose? Because like, how do you say you're going to the red light district and with no other like qualifier explanation? Like what is happening? But yeah, it was very funny. The look on Will's face cracked me up because it was like, what did I just get myself into? (laughs) And I've been there before where you're like, Oh, this is going to be way wilder than what I thought I was getting involved with tonight. Like, yes. like things take a turn. You go, oh. And yeah, so I, I, I appreciated Will's like, I'm not going to not go, but oh boy, how's but this going to play out? Yes. And it's not like it, it, I have had instances like that before where somebody says something and you're like, did you mean the... Uh, Actually, God, I'm going to make my mom sound horrible or amazing, one or the other. After last week's uh, joke about Cards Against Humanity, um, I was looking for something last night in my texts, and I came across one that she sent to the family while she was on vacation, and the text just said, I'm about to head into the head shop, or I'm, I'm going to the head shop. And we were like, you're, you're what? And then she sends a picture and it's a, a cannabis dispensary. Like she's said, oh, there's a weed shop here. Uh, I might go check it out. But I think mostly she was making a joke. <laughs> and I texted her back and I was like, why did you call it the head shop? She's like, that's what we call them. And I'm like, no, we don't. I don't. She's like, well, when we were kids, we would call them the head shop. That's where you get your pipes and stuff. And I was like, do you know what head means, though, Kathy? Because we're. I need you to stop saying it so much like that. And then I had to explain to my mom that it meant blowjobs. So that was a fun, fun family okay. text. I love Co- that. But Coach, you know, you I know what both, you're saying, right? Yeah, Coach? I knew both. I know both meanings, and that's why I started laughing because I was like, "That is some you know truly the, lost in translation moment right there." But sorry, yeah. go ahead, go ahead do, Coach. Do you know the origin of that, boss? Like, do you know what that means? I hedge you, Coach. You wanna you wanna take it away on that? Do you remember? Um, I don't actually. Yeah, tell, it, it's tell from, me. It's from the Grateful Dead. It's a dead head shop. Holy shit! Oh, yeah, that's all okay. the sense. That makes if you're all a dead if you're a deadhead, you were that's it. That's who smoked pot was deadheads. Right, and even right, if right. you didn't listen to the Grateful Dead and you smoked pot, squares like my dad, which is where I probably heard the you know, I was like would call mm-hmm. you. Oh, these friggin' deadheads walking around, you know, like dad. Right, uh, right, no, right. they're really nice. Yeah, but anyway, um, yeah, that's what that's the uh, headshot. That's really interesting that. You were caught in the uh, people don't like just like coach when he was talking about his his uh, uh, youngster freaking out over it when he's like, I still got it. And she mm-hmm. lost her shit thinking he was saying something sexual. This is just a, a you know, Higgins is like the team dad. Yes. And you could do a lot. There's a lot of things that Will would like to do with Higgins, but like getting into that kind of sex vibe with him like might be like a bridge too far i just think it's really 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 funny um and uh you know higgins puts his airpods in right away so there's no like sound canceling i want to just call out um kitman will he he has had a really nice arc and he has left us wanting more of him which is a really good thing you know i remember the moment when nate went and screamed at him was like you ever embarrass me again Remember that beat where he just yes. tried to say wonder, yep. wonder kid tried to do something nice and get him a thing. And and remember his face, he was like in tears, pulled the shade down. Yeah. And I'm like, Oh, he's come. So, you know, he's, yeah. his life is so much better now yeah. that the head of player personnel or, you know, I'm not sure. I forget what Higgins, uh, I always think that's his title, but 
you know, he's like, Hey, you want to hang for the thing? Um, anyway, Kit Manwell doing a great job. Um, we, uh, at that moment on Will's face cut to the intro. We've made it to the intro. Intro, roll credits, roll opening. Yeah. Opening title sequence. Um, now we're up over a canal and a crane shot. Um, it, it almost looks like a drone shot, but I'm pretty sure it looked like a very deliberate movement. And so I'm like, oh, I think it's a crane. Um, we can see the bridges. I uh, was talking a little bit about how in season one, they must have said, hey, let's have a triangle theme. Let's have a bridge theme. If you remember, Jamie's trying to build bridges to which Roy says, you couldn't build Jeff Bridges. Right. And here we are in Amsterdam. I wonder how many of the subplots, how many of the tropes, how many of the runners came from these guys, maybe going to Amsterdam and writing down everything they saw and say, yeah, let's put the member of the bridge. We always used to hang on on bridges, right? Or like, whatever. Yeah. I remember there's all these triangles. Um, so, uh, the camera picks up the canal and then turns to the right where we pick up Jamie's pre-lap voice before we actually see him. And then we catch him and Roy sort of jogging in a frame. Jamie says, did you know that Amsterdam's origins date back to the 13th century? This is like, so there were these moments in Game of Thrones. I only bring it up because it was another beloved show before it crashed and burned into a you know, nuclear detonation. Um, but there were these, these buddy cop episodes where two unlikely people hang out together. And, and they were like some of people's favorites because you're just like, oh, I did not expect... And then it was all the shipping and all the, you know, like, oh, everyone would fall in love, right, boss? And some they were some of the best ep- – just people you would not expect to be together. And it just – it's a really fascinating quality. Yeah. Hound and Arya still, regardless of what happened on the show, it was amazing watching them hang out together. Yeah. J- Jamie and Brienne I was thinking of. But, yeah, like, yeah, Hound and Arya. I mean, you just like how – I mean – these guys, okay, <laughs> you know, this, 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 well, this show will sometimes tip its hand, right? And tell us exactly what it's going to do. And there was a very clear moment when they got drunk. Ted says, all right, I'm out of ideas. Let's get fucking drunk at the auction episode, right? And Jamie's like, oh, yeah. Roy admits, Jamie says, I had a poster of you on my wall, man. Like, that's like Zava boots for Danny. That's like, this is a legend. That's just what I said about Marco Van Basten and Johan Cruyff. Like, you have these people that you um and they're they're legends i remember when i was a wrestler you ever hear of dan gable boss you ever hear that name dan Gable? yeah of course i've heard of dan gable come okay. on all right even i've heard of dan gable like that jesus christ so yeah. i was at a i when i, I was trying to decide whether i was going to take hockey or wrestling seriously because you couldn't play both of them in the same same uh, season i did for a long time um and i was very tired but um I went to a camp where Dan Gable was talking and he used to talk about how he would didn't couldn't afford uh, athletic tape. So he'd tape his fingers with re- with uh, electrical tape and stuff. And he was like being in, in it was like being in the pres- presence of a religious figure. I don't know how to describe it. I once met a Bishop at my mom's church. that was like, Oh, I don't know if this dude's from this planet. <laughs> like, like he is really, really, he was so plugged into the religion when I was a little kid. Um, I used to go to two um, churches every Sunday. My dad was a Protestant. He was Lutheran. My mom was Greek Orthodox. And so I would go to two churches, um, which is probably why I'm now an atheist. Um, and uh, But the bishop I, the bishop was amazing. This guy, he was unbelievable. And I, and I was like really moved by being in his 
vicinity, like he was just really profound and interesting. He just had this this gravitas, something about him, like what they show Zava having, where you're just around him, you kind of whatever. And he ended up losing his uh, bishopship for having an affair with a whatever. The same thing, you know. You just go, ah, oh, God. Um, but Dan, this, I'll fix this by saying Dan Gable. I was at a I was at a, a wrestling camp, and Dan Gable was like. Um, trying to teach us how to bridge. Sometimes you get somebody on you and you're on your back and you got to bridge. So this is a- appropriate for this episode. Uh, I didn't think I didn't make the bridge connection, but he's trying, someone's on your back. Uh, someone's got you on your back. They're laying on top of you and you have to pop your hips into the air, get as high as you can to get your shoulder blades off the mat. And if you can, you spin out of it and whatever. And he was saying like, bridging is not, you know, whatever. Everybody can bridge. I don't know what he was saying, but I was one of those kids. I've never been picked for a raffle. I never won a raffle to this day. Never. I never won any of that stuff. Um, I never get called at a at a comedy club like pick me out of a hat. No, hey, look at this. Whatever. For whatever reason, I never was picked. Except this one time, and Dan gave me goes, "You come up here," and I was like, "Oh!" Like I was so scared, and he held my hands. I was just a little kid, and he goes, "Bridge," and I I am, uh. I am as I'm as flexible as like a two by four. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like I I like I can't I have no flexibility. I don't have double joints. I like I'm just very, very impliable. And he says, he held my hand, he says, just arch back as far as you can. And he's like, put your put your forehead on the mat from a standing position. I'll hold your hands. You will not fall. And I'm like, you know what I mean? What am I? Everyone's watching. This is Dan Gable. This is this is like the voice of wrestling god. And I arch back, and I'll be damned if my fucking forehead doesn't hit the mat. He holds my he holds my hands. I don't fall, and then he helps me like pull, pulls me back up, like really gentle. And I was like, oh my god! Like I got chills even f- almost fifty years later, thinking about how, that moment for me and what it meant. What it meant to me to say like, oh, I can. I can do that. Like, even though I am inflexible, this type of coaching, you know, he was just there to, you just put your trust in him. And this is what tremendous coaches can do. And, you know, in this moment where you see whatever's happening between, you know, I talked about the, the, um, you know, unlikely twosomes or whatever. You have this moment here with Jamie and Roy and whatever shit we know Roy is putting on Jamie. Somehow Jamie is getting to a point that we can all kind of sense, if that makes any sense. Right. And they're just jogging. They're just jogging. There's something also. Yes. To everything you just said. And by the way, I don't think you've ever told me that story. And I love that story. That's a great, great story. Um, what I found interesting and it does play out a bit is there's a whole thing, you know, I I run. And so you think about like levels of exertion. And one of the things that you pay attention to is at this, as you're going, could you have a conversation? That's like one of the levels of exertion that you can pay attention to. So they're jogging. One of them can have a conversation and one of them can't. And, and I actually think that speaks to the, the effect, uh, on some level, not totally, cause you know, Roy's retired now and you, you, you're not going to be as good a shape as a coach as you were as a player. But I also felt, oh, they're building Jamie into a machine. Like he is like, 
running all this. He's not even panting in the least. And he's like hopping around and jumping backwards. And yes. I'm like, what yes. the fuck? Yes. Like, this guy, like, if you, if anyone who's ever been in that kind of shape at any point in their life, like I've had, I was, I am not in that kind of shape now, but I have been <laughs> in unbelievable physical condition at certain points in my life. And when you're there, it, there's there's a certain magic to that too. Because you're like, I remember talking to a friend of mine I was in New York at one point, I was training for a marathon and I, you know, staying at a house and whatever. And I go, oh yeah, you know, today's just, you know, I'm just going to do a, a short run, like, you know, like eight miles pace. And she looked, she looked up, she was like, eight miles? Like, <laughs> like, what are you? But to me, it was like, yeah, like, you know, today's an easy day. And I, for me, I could see Jamie being like, oh yeah, eight miles. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. I, I yeah. have um, probably never been, I've never been a runner. So I've never been in running shape. Uh, there was one summer where I worked at a farm parts warehouse. My job was to pick different like individual pieces and put the order together and then send it for somebody else to get shipped. So I would just be like picking stuff up and walking all day for three months. And then I started swim team. And so I don't even know what these muscles up near your neck are. But mine, yeah, there we go. Huge. I took my <laughs> my uh, school ID picture that year in a tank top. And like, it just, the ridiculousness of it. And sometimes I'd be like, shit, you really got some muscle. You did it. You did it, girl. Nice. Um, nice. Hey, hey thanks. Uh, also, so because I'm actually not that physically fit or coordinated, I say this with so much love, but Phil Dunster is a runner and Brett Goldstein is not in real life. Those, the actual actors themselves. That's funny. I love you so much, Roy Kent. You're not a runner. Yeah, no, it's really funny when you see that. But listen, the, you know, I, I think they did a really good job of showing the difference in shape, the difference in age. There, there's a, you know, we, we say fuck fucking Socrates. Roy Kent says that. A quote from Socrates I was recently reminded. Uh, for those of you who are interested in physical fitness and getting in shape, there's a another podcast that we produce called Mind Muscle. And, um, it, uh, Simon DeVere is the host. He's a, he's a physical therapist, a physical trainer, I mean, in, in Los Angeles. And he talks about the history, philosophy, and science behind all the fads, uh, in sports. And it's amazing. And he reminded me, this is a quote from Socrates. No man has the right to be an amateur in the matter of physical training. It's a shame for a man to grow old without seeing the beauty and strength of which his body is capable. And I, coach, when you say that, it's like, I remember the moment, like when being peak, absolute peak physical condition. And I, so I totally relate to those moments of Jamie. I, I remember probably one of my favorite moments was I was playing a soccer game. It was, but it was, um, five on five soccer. And I was, I got, this is a, this is actually appropriate for this. I got, we played a, a, a ocean state, which is Rhode Island, uh, Rhode Island. Uh, I forget their name, ocean state somethings uh but i was playing for the mass state team in massachusetts and they were it was a rhode island state team and we were in this little five on five half field game and the big it was a huge tournament but the biggest ovation of the day came from um i got caught in a triangle so i was the the other team had the ball. They were way better than us. I mean, way, way better at the time. But this tournament, it was like, they were like Man City. We weren't going to win. And I got stuck in this triangle where it was me. Uh, my guys were mostly back. And I was trying to get the ball from these three other kids on the other team. 
and they just kept dishing, passing, like like toying with. I could not get to the ball, but I did not stop. <laughs> I ran. I have nothing if not hustle and stubbornness. And I was like, I I don't care. It was a solid minute and a half, like ninety seconds of tap 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 tap, tap where I could not get it. And they made one pass where I just stretched my whole body, got a toe on it, and kicked it out of bounds. That's it. Right. But the place went fucking crazy because they're like, <laughs> yes. Right. Like yeah. that little bastard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Somehow got a right. Yeah. And, and it's this is the thing about sports. You just go, oh, my God, if you're in that kind of shape, you can, you know, you can try to to do that. Well, you you you, you also touch on one of the ways you and I get each other. Like we bust each other's chops all the time and whatever and whatever. But there's a basic respect you and I both have, even in, in fantasy football, a lot of times we end up loving the same guys. And there's just oh, yeah. and, and there's just like that the the player who's willing to do what you just said. Some have more talent than others. But to me, that player who's willing to do whatever. I have a a girl I coached and uh I still tell this story. It's like definitely like I'm that old uncle who's like, remember the time? Um, but her mom loves the story and we always kinda have so this kid is playing uh, basketball. It's like a second daughter to me. And um, she is just tiny. She is just a, like, even in the, even amongst middle school girls, she is just short. And that's what it is. And I had her on the inbounder on this pass. And I said, just jump. I said, don't worry about anything. You don't have to, but just be in the way. Okay. I'm and this kid starts jumping up and down. It was like she was on a fucking trampoline. And she's just, and that's it. And she just, what did coach say? Coach said, just keep jumping. And so she's bing, 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 bing. We got a five second count. And so she didn't get the, the, the other players didn't get the ball and bounce. And I went fucking ballistic. I'm surprised that I didn't blow the literal roof off that building. I jumped up. I'm like, (laughs) I go fucking nuts. I go absolutely ape shit. Because I was like, that to me, that was like a portrait of what I would want from any of my teams. We can't control if they're bigger. We can't control if they're stronger. We can't control if they're faster. But God damn it, we will be tougher. And I just, I I love that you were like 90 seconds. All right. Like you got me, but if you, if you're a centimeter off, I'm going to get my foot on this ball and finish my job. I I love that. Yeah. They're all, each one individually was better than I was. Each one of those kids, one-on-one, absolutely better. And as uh, together, they were a million times better. So, I mean, that's the thing you, um, What's the biggest predictor of of success in children? We've talked about this. Yes. I know in season one. Yes, it's effort. Yes, it's effort. Grit. Yep. It, it is not. Yeah, it is not. That's why coach references. Oh, sometimes A students work for C students. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is sometimes things come easy to kids, and for the ones that don't, they really have to apply themselves. Um, in this scene, we get Jamie and Roy. Jamie is narrating as he. Did you know that Amsterdam's origins date back to the 13th century? Jamie Tart is saying that. And we get we cut to this lock shot. They're running into frame. Uh, uh, we started in the middle of the canal. Now we're over in front of them, and they're running directly at us. Um, bicycles are crossing in the near field, which gives us the sense of busyness, but we do not have a strobe effect. Um, Roy grunts, and Jamie says, "That's mad, isn't it?" So we get in hit again, which I love. And this time it was, isn't it? Uh, Roy does not care. Jamie makes a hard right out of frame. Oh, coach, this way. 
and he slows down on a bridge waiting for Roy to show up. And what does he say, boss? This is the world famous skinny bridge. And Roy says, yeah. And he says, as seen in the major motion picture, James Bond's diamonds are forever. And while he's doing this, he's doing the same, uh, the whatever, like sidestep type thing when uh, in season two, when Ted told him to take it easy and to not push too much. Of course, he trots out onto the field, do uh, the pitch, sorry, doing his little sidestep, twisting his arm, shuffle thing. Again, Roy is super far behind him and Jamie is still blowing him out of the water. Yeah, and and what does Roy say right there, Coach? He says what to uh, Jamie? Stop with all the fucking sightseeing shit, you twat. <laughs> now, meanwhile, it's not every day bubbled. you get a Chaucer reference, so <laughs> enjoy that, folks. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? I, mean, I love it's Roy. Like, it's like, it's, yeah, it's so good, so good. So um, uh, Jamie does not even hear this. What does he say? What does he say, boss? Right. Next stop, Amsterdam's thinnest house. Gonna blow your mind, lad. Come on, get let get moving, lad. I love that. Get it calls moving, lad. lad. Yeah. Like there are oh, so shoot. There are so many things that you could say about Roy Kent, but calling him a lad, no. No, no, no. Don't you feel like even I, at nine no one called him a lad? Like when he went when he was taken away to go trade, like no one called him lad then. Yes. Yeah. I, I forgot. I ADHD'd out of my point. But I was saying in the in the episode with the auction, when they were talking about um, the uh, the legends, you know, everybody who had who had the legend, Roy was like, oh, yeah, I had a guy on my team just like you. And, and Jamie's like, oh, did you end up friends? And he's like, fuck, no. I hope he's dead. Right? And then yes. Jamie's yeah. like, well, here's, here's to you dying. Yeah. So great. so you're like, oh, they're not going to be friends. But, but again, because it's Ted Lasso. They're really, <laughs> they're really pulling the wool out from from under us. So, um, Jamie does a round off. Did anybody recognize the round off there? Yes. Instead of the cartwheel, you did, boss. Oh, thank you. Yes. You want to explain the difference? Uh, cartwheel is where you go at, at feet over your head on your hands and land one foot and then the other. Round off is where you do a slight little turn so that both feet land at the same time. That is exactly right. Um, Roy groans. Uh, Jamie said so much. Energy. It's almost like, um, God, what was that years ago? The little cartoon with the little dog that was, had so much energy and the big dog was just laying there. You know, it's like that, that kind of thing. Come on, boy, hey, boy. Let's go, boy. Like that whole, I forget that little uh, Looney Tunes thing. Um, Roy, Roy is suffering, though. Um, now we cut to Rebecca. She is walking around. She's looking just lovely in a big blue thick scarf blue blazer um her her phone rings and she says hello and and boss walk us a little bit through this interaction sassy immediately says stinky what's wrong and rebecca says nothing why and sassy said bullshit i felt warm in my belly so there must be a problem out with it which come on the level of friendship there give me a goddamn break to know to actually feel, to to be able to hear your twin screaming on the inside, as I mentioned at one point about my younger brother when we were that close. Amazing. Yes, yes. But, but I, I, I'll add in the magic of this. We've been back and forth. Is Tish a charlatan? Is she this? Is she that? But then Sassy says this, and I accepted it in real time. 
And I felt like there were people in my life who have hit me up and been like, hey, what's going on? And I'm like, that's crazy because XYZ just happened and you're exactly the person. You know what I mean? So yes. it's funny that this happens and this, because Sassy doesn't say I'm psychic, then yes. it's kind of like whatever, but she's doing what Tish did. So at any rate, I, I thought that was kind of cool. Yes. And one of the things that I will say is that I have friends who I will reach for my phone to text them and they have texted me it just for whatever reason. Like, yeah. And yep. sometimes it's a little more like I have a friend that I regularly get lunch with. So it might be, oh, it's time for us to plan this, that we've just settled into a routine like that. But there are also times where I'll think like, oh, I haven't heard from them in a while and text them. And then it turns out something's going on. So I'm not saying that it's necessarily that Sassy is psychic. It is that she is so in sync with Rebecca that she knows for whatever reason, there's something off and I need to address it. Uh, Yep. That makes sense. So Rebecca says, uh, Sass, you're actually wrong this time. And Sassy says, "Uh, I am never wrong. And there are bicycles whizzing past Rebecca on both sides, making a little bit of noise. Uh, Rebecca or Sassy says, uh, what are those bells? Are you in a casino? And she says, no, I'm actually just having a stroll on Amsterdam on my own. And then we cut to the uh, mystery gentleman who is going to be entering pretty quickly or not entering pretty quickly as it turns out later. Right. Yeah. Well, we don't know. So it's it's a man on his phone. No, 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 no. Stop. 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 You are not. Boss, boss just, boss just five holes to give you a little boss of Bruins love. She just five holes some sexual innuendo right by you. You totally missed it. He's not gonna enter, really, boss. He's, he's, <laughs> I feel like I just watched like my friend like trick the teacher into letting us out early or something. You're like, really? That was great. Yeah, right. <laughs> this is. This is Matteo Vandergreen, uh, who is um, beautiful, a beautiful man. Um, he looks up and he sees Rebecca on the phone on the bridge. We get a POV shot of, of uh, from his his point of view. Uh, she says in her phone, completely unburdened, I haven't even got my bag with me. That's the line I was talking about. Thank you, Brendan Hunt. Now we don't have to worry about her losing her. Oh, did she drop her purse? Um this Dutch dude, who we don't know, mystery man, stands up. Uh, Sassy says, what, boss? Oh, right. Amsterdam. I forgot. Oh, jealous. Well, eat a space cake for me and call me when you freak out. Yeah, space of cake. Yes. Uh, not a space cake. Oh, space of cake. <laughs> eat, eat a space cake. Yeah, no, um, that, that's more of a Sedona vibe, um, space cakes. But she says, um, yeah, and call me when you uh, when you freak out, which I was like, oh, that's such a – so Sassy's in on something. Sassy's got an inner knowing, we call it, um, where you say, like, I just, I fundamentally know something to be true. Uh, and she reaches out to Rebecca, but she's a little bit ahead of the game. Now, Rebecca, I, lo- I love that she also says, like, okay, I know there's an inevitable freak out coming. Okay, uh, fine. It may not be maybe, – maybe not, but the freak out's coming. I'll be here. Rebecca laughs. Rebecca says, I love you. Sassy says, bye, bye, bye. Does not say I love you. And then they hang up. Um, Now, Rebecca is looking down at her phone. And we hear a whistle. 
Shot of the blue boss, whistle. What are we hearing? Oh, we're hearing the mystery man whistling at her to try to get her attention. And so she turns to look at him sitting uh, next, uh, right on the canal, basically, on his houseboat. <laughs> and she kind of points to herself. She's like, are you trying to get my attention? And he says, yeah. And she says, yes. And he shouts, I saw you walking there and thought, I have to say something to this beautiful woman. And Rebecca takes a second and then she says, right, what exactly were you? And then goes over the side of the canal as the bikes sort of, not run into her, but she's jumbled between them and falls backwards off of the bridge into the canal. I was so relieved when it, that it wasn't a car accident. I was so worried, especially that last episode, I didn't say anything, but last episode she finishes in the car where she was turning around the Ola and it was dark and she was by herself. She couldn't get Keely. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't like anything about this. And so when she hit the water, it's like, oh, thank God. I had this palpable sense of relief. And I was like, oh, this is it. This is upside down. This is drenched. I'm like, okay. All right. But Whew, okay. I felt so much better. But okay. But okay. But okay. That's, Tish grabbed her and said, but you're okay. And t- that's when she touched her, came off the bowl and touched her. Yes. So my um, my anxiety uh, provide for me provided an element to this scene because I watched twice last night and both times I thought, Jesus, she almost hit her head. And like she didn't hit her head. Certainly the second time I knew she wasn't going to hit her head, but uh, this was me. The This has been me the entire time I'm raising my kids. And I'm somebody who like, we climbed fences and went and did whatever. And I couldn't even watch my kids sit on the like arm of a sofa without being like, be careful. Um, so her, <laughs> her tumbling over the edge of the, over the side of this bridge was like, oh my God. Like I, I, I died like five deaths, like first with the bikes and then with the going over and then oh shit her head and then she's in the water, you know. So I thought they did a they did a nice job of making sure we felt that um moment. But one of the things I love about Ted Lasso again is how well they set this up. They set up the bikes going back and forth, and you think like, oh okay, local flavor. And then, you know, Sass makes sure, in case you haven't been noticing, there's some bikes going on. So by the time she goes over the side there, I'm not like, oh, give me a break. I'm like, right. And I will add that she's staring at her phone and all this stuff. I'm pretty sure on that red path, there was a a, a bike symbol. And I want to go back. I haven't had time to do that kind of dive myself into the episode, but I'm pretty sure it was there. So she was missing what was going on around her in all her blue. But I think on that red path, and I think the colors are significant, that there was an actual symbol there. And if she'd been paying attention to the world around her, as opposed to her phone, she might have seen it. Yes. But you got to respect her age, her agency, that she was in the stadium by herself, and instead of going to the hotel and oh, yeah. saying, I'm just going to sit in a bathtub, she's like, you know what? I want to go look at Amsterdam. I'm going to go see what it's all about. Yes. And uh, just to your anxiety as a parent, Coach Bishop, I will mention um, a buddy of mine went skydiving in college and had it recorded so that he had the video of it to show people later. Everybody's fine. I should mention that. Everybody's totally fine. But we watched it with his mom and his mom the entire time was going, oh, my God, Dylan, Dylan, this is so scary. Oh, my God, Dylan, why would you do that? What? What if you get hurt? Dylan, what if something bad happens? What if your parachute doesn't open? Oh my God, Dylan, why would you do that? And he's like, I am sitting here. 
You're seeing me. You, you're watching the video with me. You know it turns out okay. Oh my God, Dylan, I can't believe that you would do that. I'm going to have a heart attack. And sadly, I get it. Sadly, I could, I'm sure <laughs> if, I'm Dylan, if I'm Dylan's dad, I see that video once. I'm like, all right, good, thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. Uh, thanks for the coronary. Uh, see you guys later. So, yeah. Yeah, no, no, it's it's a real thing, Coach. I don't always think that we have because you you're really honest about your anxiety. I think I'm in denial about my anxiety, but I I was like that when I was, uh, and my mom was like Dylan's. So my dad always want his big uh, one of his big dreams in life was to jump out of a plane, and my mom was like, absolutely not, like no, no, no. And we were gonna we started planning it, him and I, one time, and she's like, no, like I forbid it. She's like, no, and um, so we're like, okay, whatever, and. Then, like a year later for Father's Day, we just didn't tell her. We just planned it because he wanted to do it. I'm like, I am not going to stop his dream just because she's whatever. I'm not going to do that. So him and I went on Father's Day. He was 67. It was right before he joined the Peace Corps. And um, and he jumped out of a plane at 67. And it was funny because we got in there. It's really weird, by the way. I don't Have you guys, have either of you guys jumped out of a plane? No. Uh, I have. Boss, you have. Nice. Okay. And did you do like static line or did you do... Well, how did you do? Do you remember what you did? Did the did the shoot deploy? Did you do tandem with somebody like going with you? You did tandem, yes. okay. So you had some free fall time. So yes, isn't it weird it. take taking off in a plane that you're not going to be landing in? I remember that <laughs> feeling. Yes. Yeah. That part. The weirdest part for me. It was great. Uh, I actually really enjoyed the free fall itself but my ears like popped it right as the chute opened so on the way down i could hear the guy trying to say something to me but like the wind is going still even with the parachute and my ears are all clogged up now and i'm just thinking like i really hope to god that he's not giving me important instructions right now because i can't actually hear him that well obviously everything turned out all right because i'm here but yeah it was a fun experience I think like I I don't know if I, how ready I was to do. I just remember taking off and being like, "Oh shit, this thing's gonna keep going, and I have to get out up there." Like I'm like, um, hmm. And I remember they said they is a tiny little you know single engine Cessna or whatever, and they're like, "How do you, you have to s- decide when you're getting in who's going out first because you sh- it's so tiny in the back you have to you know decide uh, where you're gonna sit." And so um, I remember my dad being like, "Yeah, I'm going first. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Cause he's like, if I go, there's no way he's not going. <laughs> like, <laughs> and so, uh, it was really great because we went down, we have this picture of us both in the air at the same time coming down. Uh, and it's, it's, it's pretty damn, pretty damn good. Uh, black and white, very cool. He, we came down and you're supposed to do this thing. Well, he caught, did they teach you how to flare boss where you pull down, you have like handles, you pull down and it flares the chute. And then you put your legs out and you kind of run it off when you land. Did that happen for you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we, my dad comes down, flares perfectly, runs it off like a pro. I come down, flare, get up, gust of wind, get pulled sideways, <laughs> like roll over. My knee hits a thing. You know, I, I hop up oh, like, yeah, shit. no big deal. Like I look like total, total idiot. Um, but it was really, it was really good. But I have the same thing. Even when I'm around, one of my favorite thing about having kids that are have outgrown like they can fall and hit themselves is what is like, it's so it's such a good place to be as a parent when they say like, Oh, it'll get easier. That's one of the big things that got easier. First thing is like, 
you know, kids, kids who, who just don't wake up in the morning. You know what I mean? Like that first thing, like you get past the first two years and the likelihood of that going in crib. I don't even want to, but I, that was my big, I was just t- terrified, terrified every day. And then it's after that, it's just like, Oh, they're going to fall and hit their. So like, even now, like, I, you know, I'll just be around nieces, nephews or whatever, people that are little and, you know, my hand will go to the corner of the table when they, when I see them walk, you know, just like cover any potential little, little minefield. Cause it's such a hard, hard habit to break. But, um, Qu- yeah, quickly no, I'll uh, toss in because you just mentioned that and this was a real time thing. And the, the, our, our, our listeners have gotten to know Biggie a little bit, although he's, 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 he's asleep right now. So I'm trying to keep my, my, my voice, uh, moderate. Uh, but, when we first got him the crate, you know, like when you close the crate, there's like a little, you know, the little metal part that goes across there, which, you know, whatever. And I consciously thought that that bar is pretty much at his eye level. And I was actually annoyed. Like I was angry at who designed this dangerous goddamn crate that was going to take out a dog's eye, which is totally irrational and crazy (laughs) but i tell you as i was letting him in and out for the first week or two i was putting my hand (laughs) over that part as if he was gonna find no way into this thing but stumbling into the gate and taking out his own eye so there you go that's that's that in real time for coach orlando no i really get it i really get when you say you you're watching as an independent viewer and you're watching rebecca fall and you go oh my god she almost hit her head right uh, right. This season, last last uh, thing before we move on, uh, this season of Survivor. We don't. I don't watch any reality TV except for Survivor, um, and not always, not every episode, but not every season. But um, was watching the most recent one, and it was like the very first episode. And they're like, they get to the beach, everyone's super fired, up, like crazy fired up. And this one dude, they have to run. Okay, it's like the very first thing they do. Okay, run, and then there's these things, these like sort of. I don't know, things you got to go under in the sand. I don't know how to describe it, but you got to like get under it and crawl under like a Marine crawl kind of thing and, and, and get under it. And so one of the first dudes runs at the thing and he dives and he barely misses this thing with his head. And I, I yell, I'm like, Oh my God. Like I yell in my living room and my family didn't see it. I'm like, did you guys see how I'm like, that dude's got a big noggin. And he almost what? I I stopped the, the show, okay? And I'm like, I rewound it. I'm like, look at what he clears that by. Like, I don't think this dude knows how big his head is, you know. And, and like, he's too fired up. <laughs> and I, as God is my, you can go and you can see it. He goes to the very next thing. It's the exact same thing. He dives and he dives directly into the next thing with his head. Smashes his shit. head open. Oh, I swear shit. to God bleeding everywhere he ends up leaving the show wow but i'm like i saw it coach just like you said i'm like i saw it i'm telling you he doesn't know you know spatial awareness about how big his noggin is and he's so fired up his adrenaline's got him misjudging the obstacle yeah just just i mean but yeah so i love that you had that reaction when rebecca goes in the water um uh, the dude reacts like the mystery man. He's like, Oh my God. And, and boss, take it from here. Tell us what's, what goes on between the two of them here. He says, are you hurt? And she said, no, I'm okay. Specifically. I am okay. It's just very cold. Uh, and the man is on the boat kind of reaching for her. Uh, he says, come on. And she says, sorry, did you see where my phone went? And he laughs because like, where it went probably is the bottom of the canal, Rebecca. 
Probably. Although, of course, that's what she's preoccupied with. And he says, who cares? You're alive. Come on. And she says, yes, yes. Okay, it's it's my phone. So, like, acknowledging. I should say, I have a very codependent relationship with my phone. I, I am attached to it. So I understand why she means this. Also that she's figuring out mid-sentence. Okay, it's my phone. But also it's my phone, so it's fine. Uh, and then uh, he puts the phone to his ear to say something in Dutch and then tosses his own phone into the water. As if to say... I loved that move. Fuck a phone. I, 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 I love a bold move. I Like... You want to be my friend? You want to impress me? Just like make a bold, make a bold choice. Like it's sort of the dumbest thing in the world for him to do that. But at the same time, like I, he just committed and he, I'm like, okay, I don't know who this is, but I love him. And also, I think we're also programmed, even as we are like all basically like you boss. And we all are really, I've, I've said before, like when the first iPhones came out, I'm like, this is the best tool in the history of civilization. There's never been a better like tool. I said tool because you can use it as like a level to level picture, you know, things like mm-hmm. this. You can use it as a flashlight. You can use it as a, a mirror to check your face. You know, like there's a, a hundred different things. It's crazy. A thousand different things. So just as a device, it's, it's phenomenal. Um, but this guy, he just makes this one choice. And I'm like, man, if you're going to do it, you go all in. And I think we generally sort of, even as we know that we're addicted or too overly connected we have like a lingering respect for people who are evolved enough to be like who gives a shit about that like you know in a better <laughs> world you know what i mean I, like i don't look at those people and go oh the, you know they don't get it like have they seen no. tiktok you stupid buddhist monk you know like that's yeah. great you stupid buddhist monk, <laughs> buddhist monk. Our, t- our t-shirt line is gonna be fire <laughs> <laughs> All right, so he he tosses his phone in the water, uh, and Rebecca sees the gesture, and this is the this is when she starts swimming, right? Yes. What does she say, boss? Uh, she says, "Fair enough," and she starts to swim. And he says, "Come on, you need to come get warm." And she said, uh, "What is it that you wanted to tell me?" And he takes one second, he looks at her, and he said, "You're walking on the bike lane," which. I understand that the scene was set up for this reason. Like she had to go into the canal so that they could meet. But also you could have said that immediately, sir, instead of saying, oh, I have to say something to this beautiful woman. Uh, And then I decided I needed to tell you the beautiful, just fucking spit it out. She wouldn't have been in the canal. Anyway. Uh, And Rebecca says, I mean, how the fuck am I supposed to know that stupid fucking place? And he says, come on. I, I liked her line because <laughs> there's nothing particularly stupid about this fucking place. But I think we've all been, right? You bump your shin and you go, stupid fucking coffee table. Well, I hate to break it to you, but the coffee table didn't move. So, right? But like, so I don't, anyway, it felt very, um, it felt very real. Like, we have talked from episode one of this entire series about the ways in which Rebecca is refined and put together and seemingly never out of sorts, even if it's, you know, uh, some, you know, some guy from the sun trying to humiliate her about, you know, the new, the new woman in, in Rupert's, uh, you know, in, in Rupert's uh, stable of women, apparently. And he, but she, at this point, like she could not be less 
of any of that. Like she has literally fallen into a body of water. She's being fished out by some fucking guy she don't know from Adam. He doesn't know who she is. Like it's just everything is stripped away. Everything is stripped away, and 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 here she is. Um, I'm gonna throw this in now because I I found myself thinking that they were really showing off, but I'm pretty sure they just showed us Rebecca falling in love, and if they did that, <laughs> I both like like at a certain point I'm like, all right, now you're just fucking showing off, like. Did you just really, I mean, literally have us watch a woman a journal- fall? Yes, yes exactly. In love? Like, wow, wow. That I thought that was pretty. pretty see, sweet. see what a romantic at heart he is, boss. You see that? <laughs> you can take the boy out of the. <laughs> it's I, true. It's um, true. I want to point out a shot selection, by the way. The moment where uh, Matteo van der Green is studying Rebecca from up top, he's standing there. They give it a shot, but it's a shot from below, so, you know, ostensibly to show her POV sort of looking up at him, but it's not exactly her POV because he's not directly uh, looking at that. That's a shot to when you're down below someone, you are making them look powerful and notable, and you're like sort of that the audience naturally looks up to them. So it's a trick. And I really want to spend a second here talking about the casting choice of Matteo van der Green before we get into anything else that happens, because it is a lose-lose choice. You can't win with this casting choice. You can't uh, can't win. Um, I want to call out uh, casting director Theo Park, who uh, is the casting director for Ted Lasso. I don't think we've we've mentioned her yet. Um, the the world of the industry is very is of two minds on casting directors um or maybe there's more but the two that i'm aware of are they're fucking great and wonderful and um and then the the other one which is a i think historically uh ha- i don't know has had more uh has had more industry sort of power or whatever is one that like they're, they are um, sort of – they make the appointments, but it's really the director that makes the call, the producers that make the call. So it's not really that they're as important. Casting directors have uh, for a long time uh, wondered why their names don't come up in front of the titles like with all the big other – it's the only um, f- part of the sort of big part of the industry where they don't have equal representation to other sort of key – uh, roles. And sometimes people think, uh, so, you know, I, listen, I'm, some people think, hey, casting directors are absolutely amazing and integral. And other people think, oh, they're glorified, you know, assistants and they just make appointments. I am solidly in the first camp. I think they're fantastic. Coach says him too. Um, I, I, a tremendous casting director with an eye for talent who can pull someone out of the weeds or really understands is so, so important. I find the other point of view, um, shitty and I, I've almost gotten to fist. <laughs> I've just almost gotten into like fist fights with it because I've been, I've worked on shows where people go, Oh, come on, man. Like, are they, I don't know. I just, I just, it really get, it sort of gets my goat. But um, that's the I don't thing think of- you, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Coach. 
No, no, I just don't think you can pull off the casting. Like, we're just talking about Theo Park in this case, but you look at, like, the Game of Thrones casting, you look at, like, certain shows, Succession, you look at some of the prestige shows, and you're like, you can't do this. Just, especially, I happen to know that, you know, uh, with, with Ted Lasso, they didn't know a lot of the actors, you know, British actors and things that Theo Park brought them. And yes, they do make the final call. The casting director doesn't make the final call, but you, you have to really understand what your client is looking for in order to give them like the right thing. And look how many times they got it right, which, which coach I'll let you talk, but the whole, this was a lead up to say, I think the casting of Marco uh, van der Green is, is one of the toughest things I've ever seen have anyone having to cast because you're talking about it similarly to sassy smurf you're talking about somebody that has to be a love interest for someone that we love and therefore we will not accept uh any sort of substitute or any substandard merchandise because we love them and we know what they deserve and this late in the show oh my god at least sassy was season one you're talking about all the build-up Someone's got to come after Sam. I mean, what are we talking about? So anyway, coach, take it away. Um, and and we're gonna we're actually not gonna get. I think we're gonna do most of this conversation about Marco van der Green in our next episode. But but because we're sort of uh, coming to coming to the end here. But um, yeah, take out take whatever you're gonna say, coach. Bring yeah, it. yeah. Just 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 quickly. I I think the point you made about you know casting directors and things that people say. I find in the industry. That's a thing a lot of people do that makes me crazy. Whatever I do is super important and the key to making it all go. And then the rest of everybody is just sort of around taking credit that doesn't belong to them, right? So I've heard writers talk about, well, it all starts with the writer, which is true. But, you know, nobody really generally leaves their house to see a fucking writer. So, like, you know, like, we all work together here. Anyway, um, but that, that generally drives me crazy. But I think... It relates, the point you make relates to something within the context of the show, which is we don't, as a show in this universe, we don't treat anybody like that. And even Zava, for his absolute lunacy, felt that Will, the kit man, was the most important person in that room. And I'll share really quickly uh, uh, an industry story, a, fr- a mutual friend of ours. Uh, we went to uh, film school together, so we all had internships during the summer. And he's working with a very big Hollywood producer. And someone in the group of interns said, "Hey, can you, um, you know, when will we? Basically, when will we get to do something that matters? Like, you know, we don't all want to just be here like making copies. We want to do a, we want to do things that are important." And the producer stopped cold as I was told the story and said, "Making copies is incredibly important." If I get on a plane with a script and that is not copied correctly and I can't read that script, millions of dollars could be lost. And it was as much respect as I've had had for somebody in that kind of position in Hollywood for a long time around it because I, I buy that. Like, I buy that. Like, I don't buy the, like, you should be happy to be here. But I buy that respect that every role has a purpose for being there. And just because you're not the director or the executive producer doesn't mean you're irrelevant. And and this show does a great job of that. It feels like I would think if you're on the set 
that that's how people treat each other. That there's nobody going like, who gives a shit what wardrobe thinks? Um, so anyway, just wanted to put that on the table. Uh, since I have no insider knowledge, I will instead turn this into a feminist rant and say that there is a, a th- I saw it on Twitter, a Twitter thread, but it's, you know, an idea that's come up a lot is people saying, uh, I need to have firearms in order to protect my family because I'm going to do anything I can to protect yes. my family. Whatever I need to do, I will do it. And then somebody responds, oh, okay, great. I need you to do laundry. I need you to do a shit ton of laundry all yes. the time because children make messes and we need to keep them clean in order to keep them protected. So please wash laundry. And they're like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm, washing laundry doesn't get me a rifle. So so yes, like what is important, what actually is valued, not just yes. what, what seems ma- best. What makes a household run. Absolutely. I mean, it really is uh, sort of uh, completely understood as part of the lasso way is respecting other members of your team for what they do and what they bring to the table and trying to help them do the best thing they can, whether it's Higgins trying to move players and, and, you know, Rebecca trying to own and Keely trying to get the best out of the PR department. Um, and, And even someone like Ted who would give credit to, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the members of the media who are just doing their job, you know, they're just doing their job and it's part of the whole thing. And the more we can understand each other, the farther along as a, as a species we're going to get. Um, and, uh, you know, house divided against itself and all that. You really see, uh, you know, t- teamwork. It, it goes past athletic teams and uh, it, it applies to families. It applies to, yeah, <laughs> coach, coach, this is it. This is his wheelhouse, man. What's tell, what do you got to say, coach? Tell me. No, no, but really I, the, the beat you just hit, I hit this with people all. I'm like, it's and the phrase I use for it. It's all one conversation. And the number of times I have gone on a rant, either hanging out, watching a professional game or talking to kids I'm coaching or whatever, is like the same things that lose and win the Super Bowl are the same things that win and lose Pop Warner games. It's unbelievable to me. But what you're saying is I find is also true, which is it extends beyond that and that teams generally if you just watch how a good team works it's part of why i feel like my coaching works for people because i'm like I, yeah no i don't have the first fucking clue about your business what i do have a clue about is how people interact what leadership looks like how to get the best out of you why alignment is so important right and i can bring that to your so i can bring that to your conversation around who you want to be as a parent a ceo uh kit man because I really firmly believe that it's all one conversation, that the best version of ourselves is like overarching. You are right. You are absolutely right. And then I go, I would, I wish I could give gift you a version of you to everybody. And this is what I was talking about when I say, oh God, I wish it was a help economy. What if everybody had a coach bishop that was just looking out for him since, since for the, from day one and say, let's just take a look at that. Cause we never have the time to take a look at all this stuff. Um, what, weirdly, when you're just talking about that, you made me think, there's this, there's this thing that happens again. We've been friends for, for a, a long ass time and, um, uh, we watch football together sometimes. And there's this, there's this moment where 
Coach and I want, we remember he said we still tend to like the same players, you know, even today, yeah, yeah, yeah. 30, 30 years later. Um, watching this running back get through the track, goes through the hole, uh, gets a handoff, goes through the hole, gets through the trash, arms swinging at him, starts making a break, cuts it out left. We got a, we got a safety coming up and we got a corner on the edge and safety is trying to get to him. Running back switches from his right arm to his left arm. And both coach and I go, we just love it because you switch. You, that's it. You put that rock in the that, off man hand, yeah. and you then he then the then the running back turns upfield. Safety's not going to get to him. Free safety who's ranging is not going to get to him. But the corner's there. And coach, without even saying what happened, I don't, you don't even remember this play, but you know what's, what I'm going to yeah. say. Yeah. What does that running back do when he sees a cornerback coming to hit him on the on the right out of right like right just back. out of bounds? He, he, yeah. right, he switches it again. You got it. You got to move it. You got, you can't leave that ball on the inside hand. You cannot do it. And then my favorite thing is that is instead of running out of bounds, this 220 pound running back puts a puts his hat right into the oh. 190 pound oh. cornerback. And this is where coach's methodology comes in because because we, we go, why does he do that? Why does he do that? You know what I mean? Because he could have just run out of bounds. Yeah. But he does it because he is he is establishing his dominance on the field. You want to tackle right? me? Are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure yes. you want to tackle me? Are yeah. you sure? Yeah. It's a choice. And so this is the thing. When you, you're looking for these tiny little things, uh, it makes for people that, that can, you know, can align and, and and feel like you're enjoying the same thing. Um, and this is really what our deep dive into Ted Lasso has been all about is looking at these tiny little moments together. Boss notices all these little things. Coach notices all these little things. And we hope that everybody listening is there with us and enjoying the tiny moments and both the things that are said and the things that are unsaid. We are going to do our best to get through (laughs) this as much as possible our next episode is going to be uh boss has uh she cannot make the next episode so we're going to bid her adieu uh Mm -hmm. and and it's going to be a complete terrible sausage fest for (laughs) i wondered if you were going to use that phrase i love that phrase oh Oh, shit i i hate i hate it already when when you were talking about the cities where you're just going to go absolutely buck wild in i can't believe i forgot Going to D.C. I mean, the rager capital of the U.S. Where President oh, that, Joe Biden oh, you, lives. Oh, you're going to D.C. That's that. I forgot. I knew you were traveling, but I didn't know you where you're going. Yeah, nice. My yeah. favorite tourist attraction is shitting in the capital. So see if you get a chance to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I heard that's what tourists do. No, is that not right? No. Yeah. No. Mm. Quote unquote tourists. Uh, what do you What do you got? A uh, accounting. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Oh, God, no. uh, it, it, well, there are conferences. I, I, conference. I couldn't think of the word. I, yes. I do want to stress, stress that um, when I got to meet Coach Bishop in person, which was incredibly lovely, it was because my work sent me to an accounting and HR specifically for nonprofit conference. Don't get riled up all at once with the excitement. It was, in fact, great. Um, no, this is uh, a friend's birthday. She lives in Philly, and I go visit her all the time. So we'll each year for a birthday. So this year we're doing D.C. Nice. And I'm going to go stare at that Kandinsky painting in the uh, National, Ga- National Gallery because it's amazing. That's awesome. 
My, uh, I, I will say that when we did get together, uh, during your visit, that as much as Boss and I have absolutely connected and really are just plotting to figure out how we can get Castleton the hell out of here, um, right. <laughs> I got the very same treatment from Boss and my wife. And my wife is, is the phrase she uses sometimes about others, but I think it's very true about her is she does not suffer fools and she <laughs> really loved boss like love like i was like oh my god like am i getting am i gonna get tossed to the curb here maybe by both of them like i don't know what's gonna, where is this headed like it was like oh my god i, I remember so, that yeah, i remember yeah, that they were i mean it was yeah so it was very it was very cool but yeah it was a yeah, very we, nice we recorded we recorded for a solid two years before the two of you ever met yeah and, uh, yes. yeah, it yeah. Been, really, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah and uh, um, also, just, just to be very clear, the feeling was mutual. I love your wife; she is that amazing. Was that was really fun. And there was Seth. and just. To, oh, <laughs> I'm very sorry about that. You know, they all say, uh, you know, the Olympics would be better if there was a regular schmo running. That's in right. All the that's right. You bring them along to level set. That's it. Yes. Now, it just uh, that's exactly right. So I love he's not even a, on here. We just like shit on this man by name. Like, what in the world is happening right now? <laughs> He's not even ever going to be here to defend himself. Oh, anyway, God. sorry. No, coach. definitely not. He knows what he did. <laughs> um, coach, uh, where can people uh, find you if they want to find you? Absolutely. We Align is our online community for the coaching practice, Align Performance. And that's wealign.alignp. Dot com on Instagram at BK2LA. You can check out uh, Align uh, at, at Align P and also on TikTok, same name, and uh, Facebook by our by our full names. So let's connect. Let's talk about it. It's all one conversation. So let's do it. Damn straight. Uh, just as a way of, of uh, level setting further, Coach, what, is, what does Daphne say about uh, your good buddy, Coach Castleton? What's the, what's the quote she says? When you say she doesn't suffer fools, what what is that quote that uh, that I'm graced with by That's by death? Really funny. That's one baby making fool. <laughs> <laughs> I laughed so hard when 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 coach's youngest was on the way, and I said, and I informed my wife. She goes, "That's one baby making fool." And I, I, I don't think I'll ever stop laughing at that. <laughs> so good. Uh, Boss, where do people find you if they want to find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Dumbly Chambers. And also, um, I promise I'm really trying to write more at Antagonist, at The Antagonist. Uh, it's antagonistblog.com. I, boss, I know people are going to give you some grace. The hours we put into this the, and... Uh, I mean, then poor poor Luke has to then just pour over every little thing, and you know it, it, it takes some time. Um, but anyway, we thank everybody for listening. It is a blast. I cannot believe this keeps getting better. How? Why? That's like, unbelievable. unbelievable. Right, coach. Coach, real quick before we finish, tell everybody we had a tiny little bio break in the middle of this episode yeah. that we we're going to edit out. You won't know we took a tiny tiny break. But coach, tell everybody what you said in that break before I hit record again. Oh yeah. That this episode was so amazing to be that after we are done recording deep dives and doing what we're doing, I just want, because we've been through so much together with this show, I want to have a 
view party of this episode where we just watch and stop and talk and go through this because I feel like I could teach a semester on this episode. Like it's unbelievable how much is in here. Absolutely. And uh, yes, especially this, like there, I don't understand how we could still have more things to say about it, but there are earlier episodes that now that I'm rewatching, I'm like, ah, damn it. We missed that. We have to talk about that. So yes. 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 Yeah. We're going to do all that. We're going to pick it up right where we left off. With the mystery man, uh, the casting difficulties around uh, uh, bringing him on at this late game and and anyone, any person on the planet, I don't care who it is. When you go away from us after this episode, try to think, oh, yeah, we're going to bring in somebody to be a love interest for Rebecca. And how do you how where do you even start? Um, We're going to talk about how much I loved the choice and why I loved the choice. And uh, not 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 uh, a small amount of it will be various uh, beard and receding hairline choices, which I was like, amen. Amen. I loved that. I yeah. Anyway, let's we'll do we'll, 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 we'll talk about yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very yeah. had some had some Bruce Willis and Die Hard kind of kind of thing. But um, uh, we uh, yeah, we'll be back as soon as possible. We're going to record as quickly as as we can. Um, we uh, we urge you to support your independent blogs, support your local libraries, uh, and um, until next time, we are Richmond, Richmond till till we, we die die. Yeah, all right. That was. That was I'm gonna good. die. You guys have to stop that. <laughs> that's terrible. Oh well, my god! Time you do it. That's. I might just. <laughs> Holy shit! Sweet <laughs> coach. Definitely god. one of these times you need to just cut it right before we say anything. I am. Richmond I'm going to put in like a fake voice, a robot voice. That's Cut really you. funny. Oh, oh, I, I, the I, the look on your face, like I feel like I just want like uh, you know, like they have those reels of like all the times a thing happens on a show or whatever. Like I yes. can just do like a five minute reel of your reactions to our Richmond till we die sign offs. Unbelievable. So fun. Have a wonderful, wonderful time in our nation's capital, boss. And Woo-hoo. we will see everybody next time. Thanks for listening. The TedCast is a joint venture between Pajiba and the Antagonist. Visit us at pajiba.com and antagonistblog.com.